Welcome everyone back. This is our second week in a row of uh, Target of the Party podcast without our usual co-host Daniel Rudus. He's out still uh, breastfeeding his baby. Uh, in his stead this week, we've got a special guest host with me in the studio, Mr. Joshin Yamada. Hello. Ew. <laughs> Very grateful for Daniel doing the Luke Skywalker thing with his child so that I can join you today. Luke Skywalker thing? Oh yeah, milking it. Shouldn't that be in reverse? Oh, that's terrible. He did vanish, and now in his stead, we're holding down the resistance fort. Uh, so yeah, this week we are talking about something Joshin only has a passing... I don't know why I even had Joshin on this week's podcast, because Joshin doesn't even care about this, but we're going to talk about 1979's Mobile Suit Gundam. This is the first anime I've really splurged on. This is something I've, I, like, even on the show, I've mentioned for the, essentially the better part of the last year wanting to finally tackle. And I figure, Daniel, Daniel was fine with doing Gundam, but only if we could find the shortest version of it possible. And so for a while we were talking about doing War in the Pocket, but then with Daniel suddenly having a baby, I was like, oh, this is a perfect opportunity to do what I really wanted to. I am so glad that, that you took that opportunity because yeah. I really feel like Gundam forms a foundation, not only like the original Mobile Suit Gundam of 1979, not only forms a foundation for the Gundam universe, but also is transformative on the anime industry as a whole. So yeah. I think it was, a, it was a good grounding. Well, even that aside, you're my friend and you're my housemate. And so... You've you've we've watched lots of little bits and pieces of different gun bits and pieces of Gundam over the years. Like I think one of the first things you ever showed me was like the last episode of War in the Pocket. <laughs> just like I think you were just watching it. I just happened to walk into the living room. I think it worked out that it. way because uh, and uh, all these times when when I've been watching stuff or pulled up videos to show you, like I've always been conscientious of like not yeah. wanting to spoil major stuff. Well, because I expressed an interest in it because it always seemed cool and. And the one thing, actually, really, is the first episode of Gundam, which I think I've seen, like, six times with you, either the original version or from the compilation movie and stuff like that. Just because you love Gundam enough, you just have it on, like, like someone else might have Star Wars on. And, which is funny, because we're kind of flip-flop, because, like, you don't know much about Star Wars, whereas I lo- I'm a huge Star Wars fan, so, like, yeah, Mobile Suit Gundam is kind of like your Star Wars Although, a to bit. my credit, I have read the Admiral Thrawn novels, <laughs> and I've read The Mandalorian Armor so by K.W. Jeter, which is yeah. the worst. Oh, man. But yeah, I got to catch up and start reading Gundam novels and stuff like that. Well, that's the thing is because uh, also the whole point of this podcast is for me to catch up on stuff I always wanted to catch up on. And uh, just generally, I've always wanted to watch more anime just because I'm really kind of anime illiterate. The only thing I really ever have ever seen, I've seen back in the day, I grew up watching Voltron on TV, which... That's, the, I mean, that's anime, but this, like, but then I also but saw... You also have gone deep on the Ghibli films on your own See, accord so before I, I met that. you. But even then, Ghibli is so, almost like a different thing. I know it's anime, but it's so, kind of not. It's almost like its own genre of stuff. Or not even genre, but like, it you doesn't had, really kind of count. You have to be careful on saying it, because anime <sighs> is an industry term, whereas like Ghibli is so much the vision of two particular creators. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's a really good point. Gotta, we got to you know, give props to Takahata. Everyone forgets about Takahata. He's my um, man. Yeah, no. We, Josh and I both agree that Isaiah with Takahata is probably the more interesting half of Studio Ghibli, but that's that's neither here nor there. So it will, the, the other thing is, like, yeah, Josh and also just being a huge Mobile Suit Gundam fan, and I know Mobile Suit Gundam is a huge, huge, huge fucking anime. And I always, especially the stuff you've always shown me, especially from the very first series, always seemed really interesting because this is from when anime was first... Uh, Mobile Suit Gundam started in 1979, 
and I was just like four or five years old then. And not that I saw like anime on TV right at the moment, but like growing up in the early '80s and stuff, this is kind of the, whenever I did see bits and pieces of anime, it was of this vintage. Mm-hmm. And so I was curious, like if I ever wanted to get into watching more anime, this is the vintage of stuff I wanted to see. And also, yeah, just knowing what a huge shadow this series casts, and and again with and also just your personal connection as one of my friends. Like, you have such a personal connection with Gundam, too, so, like, I had, like, 13 different reasons to want to get into this. <laughs> and, fuck, Gundam. So, well, yeah, what is your personal history with, with, with Gundam? I am of part Japanese origin, yeah. and so my relatives were in Japan, so almost every summer as a kid, as soon as school let out, my family would just hop on the plane and fly off to Japan. And Yeah, because you're, 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 you're from Chicago, but your father's... Uh, family was from yeah my mother's as well and um oh, oh that's right well it, i know your mother is like she's part german japanese and stuff i, I forgot i'd given yeah okay yeah. yeah so my mother's mother lived in tokyo and then my father's parents lived in southern japan but either way there was a big cultural divide for me because i couldn't speak japanese and um Anime was something that easily reached across cultures, even if you had a language barrier. Mm-hmm. Um, I appreciated how much we did other cultural things, like visiting temples in Japan, visiting museums. Um, my father was came from a Buddhist tradition, so there's a big holiday there called Oban that's a big three-day street festival. Um, and remembrance for the dead, yeah. but like anime. I didn't realize that was like specifically Buddhist too. But yeah. Yeah. Um, and anime really cut through the noise. So like there were some really defining animes. Um, I started going to Japan as a kid, and. Um, yeah, you're a couple years older than me. I was born in '75, and so when the, when 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 Gundam came out, you would have been like what, like six or seven years old. Six when it started. Yeah, between yeah. six and seven when it started on TV. And usually I was there in Japan during the summer, although the summer of 79 during the year when Gundam was running was when my family also went to Japan in a winter time. So that was my first and only uh, oh, wow. winter time in Japan. Did you guys anywhere go north so where you'd be? Well, no, the, um, Japan gets snow all over, right? It's just I just always know that the stereotype of Hokkaido, the northernmost yeah. part of Japan, is like the, the snow heaven up there if you or any of the listeners ever get a chance there's an amazing movie called yukiguni or snow country Uh about uh like a tokyo guy who's feeling a bit of ennui and he goes out to um the western side of japan which uh you have to go over a series of mountains and then you're on this strait between um this narrow strait between russia and japan where these crazy cold winds flow And so in that film, its place setting is in this city in Japan that just gets covered in 10 to 20 feet of snow, and they just dig tunnels that go from building to building. So this is based on a real thing? Real thing, and um, great movie that uh, I think the metaphor is about emotional um, distance and coldness. Yeah. So it's like uh, Chicago, it's like uh, Japan's uh, Chicago. Yeah, funnily enough, uh, 79 was the same year that we left that there was a crazy... um, uh, blizzard in Chicago that uh, we had uh, snow going up to the almost to the second floor windows on our house. Oh, Christ, yeah. Don't miss that. We both live in Portland, Oregon, but we don't quite miss that about Midwestern winters, yeah. But I definitely admired uh, immensely my older sister and older brother um, 
they had these cool tastes that I, as a little kid, was just sort of envying and, and trying to emulate. So um, of the early animes, there was one called Galaxy Express 3-9, and it was kind of like the Wizard of Oz of Japan in that mm. it seemed like every summer when we were there, they would play the movie, and it was a big event that um, my older sister would say, okay, okay, we all got to sit around and watch the movie. Yeah. And um, it was slow and... Um, very metaphorical and I remember thinking like oh, I need to get older and be more mature like my older brother and older sister because they appreciate this more arty uh, stuff you're a pretty ch chill kid when that's your first reaction to something that you're not like you, something that you're kind of bored by but yeah I mean I shouldn't you're, you're finding more fault totally in yourself fun. than you are in the thing that you're watching yeah but um, then Gundam too the same thing I felt like um, they were bigger stories I have these really really intense memories of one in Tokyo sharing the the bedroom with my grandmother and there was a small color TV and Gundam would show on Saturday evenings and there'd be a block of cartoons on Saturday evenings. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. And um, my... Uh, That's the worst sound you make? You probably didn't pick up on mic, yeah. My grandmother was very, very uh, um, tolerant. I, I think both of my grandparents were. Um, yeah. But I remember watching Gundam in the room with her and then this later... This still on your father's side? On my mother's side, oh, mother's in side, Tokyo. Okay. Oh, yeah, that's right, in Tokyo. Because yeah, then, you said your your father's family's from down south. Yeah. And then going down to uh, southern Japan, and um, uh, just I guess uh, everyone tells the stories about how my grandfather loved watching his Japanese soap operas, and that I would just as a little kid, I would just go over and park myself in front of the TV at five thirty p.m. on oh, a Saturday man. night, yeah. and switch it over to Gundam. And I just remember my dad one day saying he remembers my grandfather amusedly watching me watching TV. That's um, funny. Oh. Even though I couldn't really speak to him and I felt kind of uh, distant. Oh, I didn't think about the language barrier. It's, it's not even a like cultural or generational barrier. But mm -hmm. that too, it was such yeah. a thing. I felt oh. like when I really wanted to communicate with them, I had to go through such a process of trying to track down my mom or dad and then interrupting them to ask them to go translate for me. Stuff. Was he particularly talkative anyway? No. Um, no, no. I I mean that's a stereotype of like old like well not even I was I was about to say older stern Japanese grandparents but some grandparents just in general just were, you know just be quiet and yeah mm. especially dudes but I think that really shaped my appreciation of animation in general because I remember coming back to the United States and um, I was lucky enough in the late 70s to be able to get uh, Yamato came over as Star Blazers, and yeah. a lot of Americans have seen that. Have you seen that? I've only seen bits and pieces. I remember reading about Star Blazers. <laughs> Joshin, please, Star Blazers. <laughs> uh, actually, I was even joking while watching some of the end stuff on, on Mobile Suit Gundam. I was like, oh man, this, this seems like the Star Blazers should show up. And I was like, oh shit, that's right. It's, it's... So it is the Yamato. And that's the name of the ship, right? Mm -hmm. Named Instead after Instead of the... the Argo. Yeah, okay, yeah. I know, I, Starlog Magazine... Right around the same vintage of all this stuff, like 1981, I remember seeing, like, reading in Starlog Magazine talking about this new anime called... I don't, even, I don't even know if they called it anime at the time, they probably just called it a Japanimation called Star Blazers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I remember, like, the illustrations of the ships and everything like that. But... It was cool, and that um, uh, Yamato slash Star Blazers was made by the same guy who made the Galaxy Express 3-9. Yeah. And amazingly, all takes place in the same universe, too. So... Is the Galaxy Express, is that more of a fantasy thing, or is that still kind of like a naval combat kind of thing? Galaxy Express. Because you were saying it's kind of Wizard of Oz, but you're, um, I think you, you you said that more of just a cultural saturation way, not that that's actually what Galaxy Express was about, huh? Yeah, Galaxy Express 3.9 did not really have battles, per se. It was more um, the story of a, a, 
it's a Bildungsroman, so it's like a young boy who um, starts traveling the stars on a train oh, okay. and um, visits different planets. It's like very Star Trekky in that sense that like oh, okay. it's kind of social commentary it's based like a space on train. The it's not just like literally a prince. A, literally a, a steam train from the 1800s that <laughs> okay, so it is like that the has a prince. sentient computer inside too. What the fuck is Star Blazers Yamato like that? If that takes place in the same universe, that's like saying that like. That like uh, arrival takes place in the same world as like the Little Prince or something <laughs> like that. Where like how the hell do you the yeah, They're uh, pretty big. Um, yeah, consolidate to those two kind of different things. But, yeah. but I totally remember coming back to the United States and then the like Flintstones. I was watching a lot as a kid, like, and it just had episodic stories. It didn't seem to have a big. Yeah. Uh, more adult story. It must be a hell of a thing being exposed to like something like Gundam or even Star Blazers and coming back to America and just like, okay, it's this fucking... Yeah. Not, not that it's automatically bullshit, but like, that's mm -hmm. just the scale of it. What, what, what those two different car like kinds of cartoons are even trying to do must it have It felt so different. We'd go to Japan, I would get a Walkman or a watch or like a calculator, even like... I remember we went to Hong Kong and I, I saw the first time a pen with a digital clock in oh, it. Man, yeah. And it seems so futuristic and so James Bond. I just thought there was this humongous divide between Asia and Western culture. Um, so I love being a child of both cultures. Uh, it must have been interesting too because you, then you can start seeing how some of that stuff was moving over slowly over to the west sometimes some of the things like that would pop up and you might be like oh i saw that like a couple of years ago in japan or hong kong or something like that but like yeah it's new to everyone else but like um i couldn't understand japanese so i felt very isolated when i'd be in japan i would um really uh sit down and work on like plastic models and um that was one of the great things about the gundam world was that mm -hmm. they fleshed out what you'd see on screen with physical models that you could pick up and play with and put together. Well, that's what you're talking about. That's how Gundam really kind of bounced back because the original series was kind of like Star Trek and that it came out was 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 pretty ambitious for what it was trying to do but got canceled because it wasn't that popular. But then the fans kind of brought it back with like the success of all the toys, right? Yeah. Not even toys, I should say. Specifically like models. Not even just like, yeah, like little toys but like, yeah, the modeling scene, yeah. I remember in particular my... um. My cousin Ko had built a, the Gundam model at the time, like mm -hmm. the main one. I don't know if it was the if RX. that was Bandai. Yeah. Yeah. But um, we should also note, as we're talking about this, Joshin has brought his white base toy down, along with his what? Uh, not perfect grade, master grade. RX, what's the serial number? RX 70 2? Yep. Yeah, and yeah, we've got like uh, also the, 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 the white base scale uh, Gundam along with the gun cannon and the gun uh, tank. Uh, gun tank just also hanging out down there. And like we, we've got all the, the, the white base doors open and everything like that. I'm so bummed it doesn't come with a little action bi uh, figure of Commander Bright or anything like that. But so this is very cool though. 70 assault carrier. Oh my god, this is a majestic toy. I'm sorry, but anyway, you were saying, but yeah. Oh, it just really stuck out in my mind how, um, like, now we have such a rich array of models in different scales and mm -hmm. different, um, these tremendous levels of detail. By that time, Bandai only had one Gundam model. I think it was about one 100 scale. Yeah. But, um... I'm assuming the first, first toy they must have come out must have been just the Gundam itself, right? 
Yeah, I yeah. was just reading this last night that there was a company called Clover that had a um, licensing deal to make die-cast metal toys. I don't remember oh, that seeing that. Cool. I haven't picked one up or Yeah, I've never one. seen anything like that. Not that not that I know that much about it, but just in the last week reading about Gundam toys and models. I haven't seen anything like that, yeah. But my cousin had uh, built the the one one hundred scale or thereabouts model. Yeah. It was about uh, six, eight inches tall. Yeah, I was about to ask like what scale that would be because I have no idea what the scales are for that stuff. Um, yeah. Big enough that like in my little kid hands, like the legs would fill up. Um, my hands, I see, yeah. and I remember picking it up, and I was holding it, and one of the legs fell off, and I was such in shock. Like I, I was careful with toys. I didn't pull them off or anything. Yeah. Like um. Like you say, you sound like a super off, chill kid. Yeah. And you're I had not, to yeah. run over and like get my mom and say, please, 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 tell my cousin Co that I don't uh, know what happened. I just picked it up. It just fell off. I'm so what? sorry. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Um, but that shaped me to be more careful with my toys too in yeah. the future, and um. Again, going back to that theme of the divide between American and um, and Japanese toys, like the uh, actually perfect example. I just happened to bring down my diecast metal um, <laughs> X-wing that I had also probably gotten around seventy eight, seventy nine. Wow, yeah, it's and, pretty um, beat up. Well, it's still together. It's not like you're missing any wings or anything like that. that. But it felt but the like there was gone. a whole different level of detail. Like yeah. this only has one moving parts. The wings open and close, and yeah. they don't even. Uh, there's no mechanism to keep it from getting uh, sort of well, twisted at a weird and angle. And it's all, like, dyed in one color. Well, I guess the guns are, are, like, a dark gray, but there's a couple stickers on there. But, like, yeah, you well, even the little pilot guy is just, like, one, like, very generic, just random kind of figure sitting in the cockpit. And uh, also the toy itself is also a beat up, but... The, um... Are you shit talking Star Wars? <laughs> and this, and this temple, this church of Star Wars, you brought this gun, man. Uh, yeah. But, but no, it was cool because they were contemporaneous, and um, yeah, I loved the energy of Star Wars. But it, even as a kid, I, I wasn't thinking so much about story or depth of character, but I um, could feel that Star Wars was sort of this. Uh, happy-go-lucky tale about like one special person yeah. when i played star wars with my friends i always wanted to be luke skywalker because he was the hero nobody well, else really mattered the hero's journey everything's focused on the hero it's all built up to yeah the put that guy on a pedestal and um somehow yeah. with gundam it, it seemed to express itself in so many ways like with gundam with the toys they were more complicated as i learned bits more about the story i realized it was this big story with I think cast of over a hundred characters that get mentioned throughout the series, yeah. and um, uh, the toys were like more detailed, but they were you had to be more careful with them. Even the the you had to spend time to put together the plastic models, which yeah. was a great way that I spent a lot of those summers alone. Or you know, I had brothers and sisters in Japan, but um, I still felt very isolated for much of that summer and. Um, so that really was great for giving me time to just sit and concentrate putting together plastic models. Um, and uh, I learned, I think in 82, I just happened to go to Japan and my next door neighbor from Evanston, Illinois, where I grew up, was a French kid whose family had moved to Japan because his father was an airline pilot for Air France. Okay. Um, and just about a half mile away from my grandmother in Tokyo. Hmm. And it was so cool. Um, I remember it was so trippy going over to his house one of the first times 
and he had a Betamax copy of maybe it was even Laserdisc of Star Wars going well, in '82. Yeah. That would have been early because, like, like yeah, Star Wars didn't really hit home video until like right around the time Return Japanese of Jedi was coming out. Japanese market might have been different. Yeah, um, I'm not sure because it. it would but he would have wanted to been one of the few people in the world who really would have had a home, home copy of the whole film, yeah. I remember going to his bedroom and seeing at both at the same time, like on his TV was Star Wars, which I, I saw in the theaters when I was five. Uh, wait, it came out in 77, so I was four. Yeah. Um, it's the first time I saw it was in the theaters when I was four. And then I'd watched... Um, uh, Empire Strikes Back in 80 and then I I guess I must so maybe this was 80 well it must have been 82 because Macross was out yeah. so maybe um, uh, okay Return of the Jedi didn't come out to 83 and then I didn't see it until we, we were in Japan uh, that one I happened to oh, see that's right, you in talked a Japanese to, yeah, you, movie you theater yeah. um, so that might have even been a year after release because um, it takes a while for movies that's to go right, across yeah. the pond and um Man, not to, not to break what you're talking about, but just the fact that I can specifically tell the difference between Gundam and Macross now—that's a huge. <laughs> that's that's a half the benefit of this for me because well, you know, we we watched even some Macross stuff together, and I get like would get confused and stuff. Like so, at least now I can tell the two apart at least a little bit, at least from the original series of Gundam from all the Macross stuff a little bit. But yeah, the uh, it was just trippy seeing old footage of Star Wars that like tripped this weird memory of mine. Um, I I remembered uh, Re- Empire Strikes Back much better, mm-hmm. um, so I remember like seeing the Star Wars. I think it started out on like a Tie Fighter. It might have been Death Star um, trench scene, and I didn't hundred percent recognize it for sure as Star Wars at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also seeing a Macross uh, Valkyrie fighter, um, which was like the most complicated toy I'd seen. And I remember trying sitting there trying to figure out how to transform it. While he was watching me, well, and also being very careful about trying not to break anything. Was Macross also a Bandai thing, or was that something else? Or was it just, was it inspired by Gundam, as far as you know, or anything? I don't know if you how much you know about the Macross comes out in '82. Okay. Um, it's because uh, that's three years after this, so that's yeah. that's enough time for them. I could see somebody kind of seeing something like Gundam and kind of like, well, well, let's kind of loose back around to what you're starting to see at the beginning. Of this this kind of started its own genre too, and I would assume Macross must have been the, one of the first. Because that's that's considered more of a real robot thing, right? It is definitely like um, and that which was something... which a lot of people create the, the credit Gundam as being the genesis of, yeah. as opposed to the super robot fantastical stuff from the '60s and '70s, like Mazinger Z and all that other yeah. stuff, right? Yeah. So all this goes back to like, um, Gundam seemed like such a refreshing change from like uh, some of the like Ultraman that I was seeing as a kid yeah. or um, Mazinger Z, things like that, where there's always Fantastic a big giant stuff. robot and uh, the robot was alive and sentient. Like it would usually start as a little boy, which I would identify with quickly, but yeah, like, in that, the end, by no the sun, mistake, yeah. the big hero was, was sort of the robot. Mazinger Z, because I thought somebody, I thought that somebody actually went into his head, but it was still like a sentient body. I can't remember. Kind of. I've seen parts of that because they, they, they brought that to the boy. states as Transor Z. Get into yeah. a little like cockpit helicopter thing. It was kind of like the Gun Perry in Gundam. Actually, yeah. And then it would oh, fly man. into the head of Mazinger Z. But then the moment he was in there, I felt like we never were really seeing much about the boy. Yeah. Um. Well, even Voltron, because like I was saying, I kind of grew up as Voltron. That was my my first personal entry point in, into anything kind of anime related. And even then, I mean, even though it's a bunch of people piloting mech suits and piloting Voltron, it was still fantastical enough because it took place 
on a faraway land with a planet, and they were protecting a princess and stuff, and it, it had the pilot stuff, but nothing else at all was even pretend, pretending to be realistic about that. Totally. Like, yeah. um, Voltron, uh, uh, you could just see this formula, and it somehow it felt like Gundam was different. And then, coming back to the States, like, um, Transformers started coming out, G.I. Joe, and I saw, like, in all the storytelling on that, nobody really mattered. Like, um, uh, well, especially I would yeah, like any kind of like like the, the United States cartoons where it's just really is just there to sell toys and yeah. GI Joe offended me <laughs> as a kid that like uh, nothing matters like yeah. every single time an airplane blows up the person just jumps out and parachutes away. At least Transformers had the balls to kill off everyone in the Transformers movie because they had a second generation of toys to sell. But yeah, GI Joe more than anything else, maybe except for He Man was like completely static. Oh my God. And nobody ever went anywhere or dinner or anything. Like, yeah, it was... He-Man, uh, I think already at that time I started seeing this divide between Japanese-American culture that American culture was so, like, rah-rah this, Rambo that, like, um, yeah. this this overt masculinity. And that didn't appeal to me so much. Like, um, fucking He-Man. Even as a kid. I think that was one of the first times that even I, as a kid, because I would have been, like, eight when He-Man first came out. I was like, He-Man... And it's all just greasy barbarian shit. You could totally tell this was invented by some old man who had some kind of like body issues and shit like that. And of course, you had a different perspective on that a little bit. But like even me, just like a dopey white kid in Pittsburgh, going like, "The fuck is this shit?" Just yeah. Old man with weird body issues sounds <laughs> yeah like, uh, very from strangely familiar right now. Uh, it's uh, no 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 no. So Gundam, Gundam, what are you Gundam. About? Um. Castle Grayskull was cool, but yeah, Gundam was fucking... Gundam, I, I'd seen it, I saw these toys, I was uh, really invested in it. Every time we go back to Japan, I wanted to get the newest toys or the newest models and um, try to look for it on TV, but Gundam ends in 79, then um, there weren't other shows, although there was a, a show called Blue Gale Zabungaloo that I was really interested wow, okay. in. And yeah. Zabungaloo happens to be made by Yoshiyuki Tomino, the same person who did Gundam. Okay. And, um, the, actually, actual, the, the actual head guy, yeah. The main director, and then I think it's the same Yoshikazu Yasuhiro, the character designer from Gundam. Yeah, because you've always told me the character designer wanted main, to do a lot of The main of character shit. in Zabungalu looks almost just like Mexican Amuro Ray, as, <laughs> a little curly as you called hair him earlier. Like that, yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, but Zamagalu, I think they kind of took more, <laughs> I think they were interested in Mad Max and sort of like oh, the... Okay. The outbacks and um, the the wild um, west, or like uh, the environments were mostly land based, and I remember just like a lot of driving around in the desert. Hmm, have you um, ever seen an anime that was like anything kind of like car related that way, like kind of like post apocalyptic stuff? Yeah. But you brought up a great stuff about the real robot stuff. I remember in um, Gundam, one of the things that really sticks out on watching it that was, is uh, all the different environments that they the um, fight in and I think uh, it was one of the first shows to really show a difference um, whether people are fighting in space or fighting in the earth they have to use different tactics and different mindsets I was genuinely impressed about how much they paid attention to I mean the show is still fantastic it's about a 15 year old kid learning to pilot a giant robot and like saving the universe and stuff like that well not even saving the universe or saving, saving the solar system not even saving the solar system, subjecting the righteous cause of the Xeon people for independence. Who, who can blame them? Uh, but the fuck was I about to say? Oh, we were just talking about the science of everything. Yeah, just like watching this shit. Um, 
just yeah, how much they pay attention to just yeah, just gravity and stuff when they first get to Earth. Mm-hmm. And he launches, and he's like, "Oh shit, I forgot about gravity." And he doesn't know how to pilot, and the Gundam's not even designed to fly around. And like, it's a, it's just a ground vehicle, and he figures out eventually that the Gundam can kind of hop a little bit, but it's not like flying around. And eventually, the, it starts flying around a little bit more often and stuff like that, which is what it, more what I expected. But mm-hmm. yeah, fuck, that was actually really fucking cool. Yeah. あなたに繰り広げられるロマンの輝き機動戦士ガンダム今プラモデルで読み替えるジオン驚異のメカニズム続々と開発されるモビルスーツパーフェクトコレクションバンダイのプラモデル機動戦士ガンダム I have mixed feelings um, about so like uh, Gundam. Like as a kid, I could never find it. We've we've such an amazing array of resources today. Like people can find well, one you could just find anything on YouTube. Yeah. Two, you can find anything with translation or fan subs, and three, um, a whole wiki. You can just stuff go out and buy things. it. Yeah. Like yeah. I grew up in the Midwest, and I couldn't find any of this. Um, I. I had the Gundam toys. I was, I was, it was interesting watching, like going to Toys R Us as a kid. Like um, Transformers, one day came out with Jetfire. I think that was eighty-five or eighty-six, mm-hmm. where I was like, "Oh my God, this is my Macross Valkyrie toy!" But it's been molded in different <laughs> colors, orange instead of green. Yeah. And um, yeah, now he's supposed to be alive and, and stupid instead of just a, a cool jet that could turn around into a... Now he's talking. Now he's got the voice of, like, Unsolved Mysteries on a cartoon. Yeah. But it was so exciting seeing different toys. I think there was a couple other toys that I bought in Japan as a kid that... Um, and when I say bought, I mean my parents bought for me. Oh, yeah, of course. But a couple other toys that, like, you, I saw yeah. make the jump into Transformers <laughs> or GoBots. So it was... Yeah. it was uh, Oh, GoBots! We are, that's gotta be our next episode go watch <laughs> I think you gotta watch Mask too man talk about it. it's something that makes oh. Transformers look like Gundam in comparison but yeah but speaking like that GoBots and and Mask was even worse like the I, GoBots at least was Japanese toy designs but uh-huh. I could see when they drew them in the American cartoons they looked dumber They like the drawings weren't very accurate yeah. um, it's like people couldn't draw 3D very well and then um, there's this show, Mask, that, like, not a whole lot of people remember. But, man, that one, like, I could see all the designs were American designs. And they were, like, pathetic. Like, the transform mechanisms were really weak. Like, yeah. um, And then uh, Transformers, I think it drew me enough to watch it in the first generation because I recognized the Japanese toys they were based on. And they were interesting in the way they transformed but like you were talking about after the movie comes out they come out with the second generation and those were i've seen a lot of those toys are american design yeah yeah and um, and they look terrible like um you have like the little tyrannosaurus rex dinosaur robots and the way they transform is the arms just like fold 180 degrees and i love the don't you shit talk the dinobots i think the original dinobots were japanese toys um yeah I think it was some weird spin-off Japanese toy of just dinosaurs that became robots. Yeah. Um, just like the original um, 
Transformers was like uh, the was it the boombox guy? I can't remember his name. It was just a boombox that transformed into. He a wasn't robot. like tied into anything else. He was just like a one-off toy that you know. Because it makes sense because like all none of those toys were into scale with each other too, and they didn't yeah. even scale didn't stay consistent even in the show like um. Well, you also had like you would have like a nine foot tall transformer turn into a cassette yeah. that you could put like into your actual human sized Walkman like in your pocket. So yeah, but oh, Smucks, you were just reminding me of something. Um... Gobots. Gobots transformers, transformers. clones. Uh, but it's more about scale. Something. Anyway, Gundam. like um, Gundam stood out in my mind as like this really mature thing, and then finally, as an adult in the two thousand two, uh, Wikipedia is not right. I think on the release dates for the DVDs, because oh, yeah? two thousand two was when it was coming out in the United States, I think, and I was buying the the you DVDs. You mean the first series? Yeah. Yeah, and um, so at that time you could buy the disc. I'm pretty sure it had both the Japanese and the English. Um, dubbed versions. Yeah, Wikipedia says that, like, the, the official release of Gundam in the United States was until, like, 2001 was being shown on Cartoon Network or something like that? Yeah. Um, I do remember it coming crazy. out on, on Cartoon Network. I do remember it failing commercially. Mm -hmm. And, um... But anyway, I had those DVDs and I was watching them with my friend Mikey and... That was the shit, was like to find Yeah, if we timed this better, we could add Mikey here to talk <laughs> about this, too. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, every day, like, uh... Uh, we would sit down and watch a couple episodes, and the the DVDs were coming out. Each DVD had four episodes, except for the last one. Um, and uh, so it was it was cool. It wasn't quite like the weekly thing, but like we had to parcel them out slowly. Yeah. Because um, even four lot. episodes per disc, that's forty three episodes still. So that's still a lot of discs. So. And that yeah. is four discs of Makuve. <laughs> no Makuve's fine. Whatever. He's great, oh. great character design, but God, didn't there's so out. many characters on that show. I'm already forgetting about like which. Yeah, Makuve's. What did Makuve look like again? Makuve's really snaky, foxy. He's got a, a skinny face. Oh, that's what he's kind of like an upside down triangle head. And, yeah, um, that's he's what very, it is. very interested in his Song Dynasty vase, which you called. Oh, which the penis vase. Yes. Which he like he like right before he dies, he like he goes to his lieutenant and says, make sure. Uh, Cassilia the, gets yeah, Cassilia Zabi gets this vase, and we never see it again. I thought it was gonna become a thing, but no, because like even earlier, you see Makuave like fondling it. Like, so you think is this gonna be a, like at least maybe not a huge plot element, but some kind of character thing? But no, it's just well, and I guess who knows? Because I guess what originally this was supposed to be like fifty something episodes. The show okay. bombed, so they had to cut it down short to 43. So who knows? Maybe there could have been some kind of connective tissue I that got lost the, there when he had to. From looking at Wikipedia, I think it got cut to 39, and then they begged to. Oh, have really? It up to 43. Because I'm actually kind of surprised. 43, the way... mind you, not 42. Oh, that's right. Because of the lost episode. <laughs> I forgot about the last, the justifiably lost episode. Um, yeah, I don't. The, 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 the funny way we usually do stuff on the podcast is Daniel usually goes blow by blow for especially since we talk about a lot of movies he'll actually go by through like plot points of the entire film god bless him i know a good thing that we're not gonna do that do that with gundam because this would be a 12 part uh, <laughs> episode series just going blow by blow what happened in 43 episodes of gundam but yeah it's it's just even the start of the show it's it's kind of funny that like the one show that this right reminded me of in the first couple episodes was the live-action Battlestar Galactica remake, where you've got this bunch of heroes who are kind of sideswiped. A lot of them are being, or a lot of them being civilians, kind of like half civilians, half military, sideswiped by this other uh, armed 
uh, people who attack them and fuck everything up and kind of like rip away their infrastructure and they have to run away to survive. Which is, that's kind of like the, the setup for the new Battlestar Galactica. And it was kind of funny to see this in a cartoon from 1979 where you've got like all these military people, you got civilians all working together trying to save themselves. And like the first half of the series is just them on the run, like nonstop. Like you could almost believe like the first half of the series takes place over the course of just like maybe a couple weeks. Because uh, yeah, they're just, they have literally no time to breathe until they essentially get to like the Earth base in Wajangaro, South America. And yeah, this show's fucked up. I, it, I, I have issues with Gundam. But, like, every time I have to remind myself, this is a show from 1979, it's like pretty, it's like almost every other anime I've seen, so like, this is like really groundbreaking, even aside from the real robot stuff aside, just from, not a lot of characters die in this show, I was actually, <laughs> that's one of the other things, because I've heard reputation of Gundam in general, I know the show has a tendency to kill a lot of main characters, and do a lot of like, just fucked up shit. And I was expecting more fucked up shit in the this first series, but again, like I said, I had to keep on reminding myself, this is 1979, so they're not going to go that crazy. They're just essentially, tr essentially trying to sell toys, at least from the studio perspective. I think you've watched the first three episodes alone, and then I came down on, I think it was yeah. episode four, and yeah. I was like, oh, the, is the captain still alive? And then you're like, oh, spoiler. <laughs> so I think I set you up even more for well, the expectation of characters being killed off. This is really also new. weird, too, because even when I told everyone, I even when I told you and told everyone on Twitter I was going to do Gundam, I think you and even everyone on Twitter was like, you should just do the compilation movies because it's only going to be six hours. It tells the basic story. And you're not going to be missing too much. But I said, fuck it. If I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it the real way. I'm going to watch the original series. And I'm so glad you did. Like, um, because yeah. everybody talks about, um, most modern, most people in America came to Gundam through a series called Gundam Wing. Oh, which is that was what a, a retooling of the series by a different director. Is it retelling in of an the first alternate series? universe? And, um, it's about a five person team of Gundam fighters that are all young boys that are super special heroes. That, oh, wow. I um, can see it. That I, I believe. I haven't watched it, but I get the feeling it's way more episodic rather than serialized. Okay. Um, so everybody always says you have to make apologies for the original show for the pacing. It's kind of like the way that... I mean, there um, are pacing issues with the show, but like... Yeah. Well, it's similar ahead. to the way people talk about the Star Trek. Like, if you're going to watch the original series, you have to accommodate for the pacing of 1960s television. Although this series, like, uh, even the original Star Trek was pretty episodic. This this is a really serialized show, though. Like, they, they, they do. You can't jump in the middle of the Mobile Suit Gundam and know what's going on. Because even in the first half of the series where they t tend to get into the very tired treadmill, of just, they just go to Earth and keep on running into a new Zeon lieutenant that they have to fight at the end. There's still enough things going on with all the individual characters where this character is like suddenly falling in love with this character this is happening or this person died or something like this like there's still enough traction going on with the individual character arcs that even if the main it's like oh okay of course amaro has got to go out and fight a new some kind of new zeon uh, machine or something like that at least the character stuff is still it's almost like Lost in that way, whereas Lost kind of started running on a treadmill where the main plot started kind of losing a thread a little bit, but at least the characters were still interesting. This, mm -hmm. this looks, this kind of does the same thing, yeah. You and I and my wife all sat through um, Farscape together, too, which yeah. has interesting character arcs, but I remember sitting for the first half of the first season being like, okay, I, I have to make accommodations for puppets, I have to make accommodations Especially me, for, I bounced off that puppet shit hard. I was like, oh my god, this is like some fucking goblins. No! Boglins! 
<laughs> this is a fucking Boglitz 1980s toy bullshit, but yeah. Uh, so, which is a shame, because that farting uh, puppet guy actually turned out to be one of the best characters on the show. That's but, right. Yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, fucking so, Gundam. Uh, like, we should put on our Daniel hat and basically yeah, we can talk like, through, not like, break the basic... down all 42, but I think if you can kind of look at Gundam as like a three-act structure, right? Even though, yeah, the show—that's the thing, because the tail end, essentially, the sec. I guess, I guess you can consider all the Earth stuff, kind of being the second act, yeah. and that goes on forever. But the first act, yeah, um, it's the year seventy-nine Universal Calendar. Yes. Um, Which is so weird. Looking at uh, the Gundam Wiki, I saw that they—they've actually pinned down an actual year for it. Which oh, I like think, a year in our future? Yeah, which okay. I think weakens it in the same way that like midichlorians and other yeah. um, and attempts by Star Trek to break down star date well, into actual Ju- uh, Julian calendar dates weakens things. It would have been easy to assume that the, when they're talking about 79, they're just talking about 2079. Because if you just assumed like, like the, the 20th, or like year 2000 could have been the start of a new era. And they talk about this like 50 years after humanity has really started kind of like journeying out from Earth. So maybe like you could have... From a 1980, uh, 1979 perspective, you could have just assumed, like, maybe by 2020, we're finally actually sending people out to colonize, stuff like that, and 50 years after that, like, I mean, you could assume that, but I like the fact that the show doesn't really plant a flag there. It could be anything. Agreed. Um, Agreed. But that ambiguity... They do, later on the show, um, the head Zeon guy is talking to the head Zabi family guy, the asshole... Um, who, 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 he's... Uh, Not he's, great Degwin the father, but Giren the most cunning of the... Yeah, he's, ta- he's, because Giren's got this whole thing about how he wants to wipe out the new types, and he wants to wipe out everyone, he even specifically says that, like, even if half the Xeon population gets wiped out, that solves their overpopulation problem, and only the purest blood will survive, and Gedwig, or whatever, the, 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 the Xeon Emperor is like, you know, you're talking like Hitler, he's like, you know Hitler lost, right? And... Uh, the other guy is all like, oh, Hitler, you mean from medieval history? And that's the one time in the show where they kind of like frame something that happened in the 20th century as being like way in the past, not just a couple decades, but like maybe centuries upon centuries or something like that. It was a a sort of a Star Trekian way to um, show the point of people who don't learn from history repeat the same mistakes. Yeah. Well, even the the Universal Calendar is very... Uh, Star Trek in because that's just like the star dates because like Gene Roddenberry he didn't really want to nail down a point in the future when Star Trek took place he was like we'll just come up with star dates and we could just say eh centuries in the future who it doesn't really matter as long as it's some an, an undetermined point in the future it's that's not the, the thing that matters it's the drama of what's happening that matters I will you know? say I don't want to say the actual date because I thought it weakened it but yeah. from doing the math 2279 I... now you gotta be curious though but yeah uh, it's in between. 2100 and 2200. Oh, really? Oh, okay, because I thought at least it would be like... Right around the middle Halo, there. where it's like 500 but years in the future. It does look like if so you subtract... So that is subtract, almost kind of like Star trek It does look like if it's... you track 79 years from the date that they say it is... Oh, okay. ...that it maybe puts it at like 1930... Or, um, 2035. 2135. <laughs> it's great um, to do math in your head like... 2035. Yeah, I was doing this at 3 a.m. in the morning. Um, and, uh... Oh. And, and so I thought, oh, that's kind of interesting. Or no, I'm sorry, uh, 1944, so 1945. So oh, really? It, okay. Yeah, so I, I did wonder if the person sort of nailing it down to a specific day 
wanted to have it reflect some sort of Japanese history yeah. since 1945 as a very yeah. significant year for Japanese history. Yeah. And they play around with that again with like the, 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 the nuclear bomb stuff that gets threatened in the show too. Oh my god. That, about, you know. there Which are, that's, like, if you watch any any Japanese stuff, eventually that that usually gets brought up as some kind of thing in, 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 in an anime or something like that. The, um, there are three, like, uh, there's some very significant tropes like um, it's weird in a show where everybody's running around with compact fusion reactors running giant war machines that the scariest, most obscene, um, the most obscenely unhumanitarian thing is to fire off a nuclear bomb. Yeah. Um, that's Even in so this future where technically that should be small potatoes. In a, in a world where they have a solar system gun thing that could like decimate a third of an army with a single blast if one nuclear weapon should just be like who gives a fuck who cares but like yeah it is interesting i can't remember what when the nuclear bomb even gets brought up in the middle of the show they're still on earth and something happens someone someone threatens to drop a nuclear are they gonna drop a nuclear bomb on the the south american federation base is that what it was yeah but yeah we were watching that together and you were like oh yeah now yeah, it's, it's kind of funny how unrealistically crazy everyone reacts to the news of this nuclear bomb might get dropped because yeah exactly like in the scale of everything else that's going on in the show that just shouldn't matter that much but i don't know how specific that is to yoshiyuki tomino who age-wise is a like a world war ii um, oh he's like a 40s survivor. baby like yeah um but i feel like i've seen that in other japanese shows too mm. like nuclear bomb just sets off every Japanese person's it'll be interesting to radar. see once that generation is kind of phased out of Japanese pop culture how much that continues on or because like you know Miyazaki like you know that's the kind of thing in his work but he again he was like just a little kid right when World War II was happening so like yeah that generation should be you know like dying off pretty soon like kind of consistently in Japanese media is kind of curious to see how long that scar remains yeah in the psyche even though it's always going to be a scar within Japanese culture itself but like in terms of like people who actually had to live through all that shit that'll be interesting to see how long that remains a thing but yeah the other big theme that's so nasty is betraying family yeah like um that yeah a lot of family yeah some game of thrones shit going on in this show yeah so the the breaking it down into big arcs the first third is the story of these war uh civilians and sort of war orphans who just get caught up in a a big major war and, and then just trying I to survive, yeah. the act sort of, uh, the first act sort of closes out with them making it to the United States, uh, expecting, one, that they can drop off civilian refugees to safety, which they mm -hmm. can't really do very well, and then, two, that um, they'll be welcomed and supported by the Earth Federation forces when they arrive, which doesn't happen. This is this one of the things that astounded me, because the, 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 the beginning of the show goes out of its way on multiple episodes in the first, like, third of the series to talk about how... Uh, just the basic structure of what the society is like, and that, like, Earth is the Federation, and all, it's, it's just the most outlying colonies have rebelled and formed the Zizion, Feder uh, Zizion Principality or whatever. And so, when the White Base gets to Earth, I just assumed that, like, they, they would hook up with the Federation pretty quickly, because that's supposed to be, like, Earth is Federation-controlled territory. And not only is the first thing they run into is, like, Zeon controlled territory, which I'm kind of surprised the Xeon have any kind of foothold full on Earth. But, like, the whole middle part of the series is them just, like, running from the Xeon literally all over the world. They, they start off in the Grand Canyon, go to New York, uh, cross the South Pacific, all through Europe, 
and they finally only hook up with any kind of uh, Federation forces when they're getting ready for the big Odessa battle in, in Eastern Europe, and even then, they still have to fight their way through Europe, uh, across the Pacific, and down into South America, where, like, I guess that's the one Federation stronghold left on the planet Earth is in, in South America, in Jangaroo, or whatever, but... Which didn't make any sense, because, I mean, I understand that, like, they've said that, like, the Federation and the Xeon have essentially, like, halved each other's populations in this war, but there doesn't seem to be anyone, any good guys left on Earth at all. Every, like, the white base is perpetually just five minutes away from uh, Xeon-controlled territory, and they're constantly running. I was like, oh, it, that didn't quite make any sense, but maybe it would have made more sense on a show that had its full complement of episodes, and they could have explained that a bit better if it hadn't been know. cut off towards the end, but, like, that's, and, and that's the one thing when people talk about the compilation movies, it sounds like they cut most of the Earth stuff out, which, again, there's a lot of character stuff that happens, sort of, from a plot perspective, battle there's scenes. not much. They, they kept the, the best ones, like, um, Gramba Rall, the, uh, yeah. the old, They keep like, Matilda? Oh, yeah, Matilda's in. Okay, yeah. Matilda is vastly important, iconic. Yeah. Um, she's almost like a Leiji Matsumoto type character oh, yeah? out of the That's... Galaxy Express 3.9. Oh, okay. Like, um... For Annie Lennox yeah. haircut. Uh, like, not an icy woman, but like, this still, woman... But still, the, yeah. The, the distance between our, like, uh, puberty-aged protagonist and this slightly older woman who yeah, it's not um, like she's has old, deep experience yeah. of the world. She's like um, maybe 25 and he's like 15. It's not like, yeah, like huge difference but especially in the military and stuff like that that's going to be a big deal although like um there's no inkling shown right in the show per se but like um maybe she is a new type a big theme within the show do um, they actually do anything with that i can't remember i think you were looking up uh, wiki articles where people oh yeah she that... does like she's labeled as a new type and i couldn't tell because i don't think they did anything within the series itself and there's nothing precluding her from being a new type she's a popular enough character i think there's a lot of not just fanfic, but also what they in Japan they call side stories. Okay. I think she shows up a lot in comics and, and stuff. And you were like even that. talking about her immediate connection with uh, Emoto may have not just been because his boner, but like there could have been like a new type connection there too, which, which totally makes sense. Yeah. And, and that is the first. <laughs> I hate to say it, but the first bit of the first bit of the Gundam that really like I fucking fell in love with the show is I even posted about this to Twitter. Is there's a scene where he's getting ready to like go off into the Gundam battle. And she just turns around and blows a kiss through the cockpit window. And his reaction, his face just freezes for a second. He's just like, <gasps> and the way they hold it for comically long, where he's just like, his eyes are bulging. Like, oh, and I, like, because by that time I understood by the rules of how this first series of Gundam works, Matilda's going to die five minutes later, which is exactly what happens. Because no one can wish each other well right before a big mission without that other person dying or anything like that. But You cannot um, underestimate the power of a new type boner. Exactly, exactly. But yeah, no, that A was new type cool. boner will actually pull your body <laughs> through space and to um, take oh. you to another city or a different side of town that you don't even know that you're going there, but your boner is like, you gotta go there. This would be spoilers, and presumably for the future of... I shouldn't even be asking this, but did they bring back uh, Amuro and Lala for the future Gundam stuff? Because I, I don't, don't see how say. you do... Okay, yeah. Because I can't imagine how you do a sequel series taking place in this version of the Gundam universe and not at least address them a little bit. I will spoil it to say that um, I'm anxious to watch the successor series to this Zeta Gundam okay. in which Amuro does appear again, okay. which was a, a huge excitement and joy for me when they show him. Yeah, I'd imagine, yeah. But there's deep ramifications from the first um, okay, series. Okay, so yeah, okay. So 
I was excited that the way they treat his character and, and uh, the consequences um, are interesting. Okay. Which we'll watch that eventually. I don't know if I'll do it for the series, for, for Tired of the Party or anything like that. Oh, it's just I'm, for private pleasures. Um, well, that's the only other thing. So I feel bad, a little bit bad, too, because I was talking about, like... They didn't introduce the concept of new types until like maybe the, like like the third or fourth episode before the ending of this, and I was I was kind of genuinely surprised because I forgot like Gundam is the series with the new types because I've heard about new types before even even you you had explained to me the idea of new types uh, just while we were watching rewatching the yeah. pilot uh, the first episode of Gundam a long time ago and stuff but I always heard of new types outside of that too but then you regressed you expressed a little bit of regret about telling me about new types. Uh, and you had hoped it would have been like a brand new thing for me to discover mm-hmm. while watching the series as a whole, which wouldn't have happened because, like I said, I had heard about gun ty- new types from other things too, aside from yourself. But that was still a hell of a crazy twist at the end of this. It is. So I'm less, f- I'm more fuzzy on the middle part of the series. Well, because do yeah. they ever show? Because um... yeah, you, you ultimately you're more familiar with the compilation movies, right? Well, but yeah. there's that. I, I'm also thinking in a meta sense, um, Tomino as a as a director is not unlike George Lucas, mm-hmm. in that um, Make it they come up, up with an iconic thing, then they and a whole bunch of other writers are fleshing it out, and the person um, can retcon a little bit, yeah. like um, so. Uh, the idea of the new types, I think, was sort of a fuzzy idea at the beginning. And I think that, um, I think it started out as a sort of extrasensory perception, like an extra awareness on the battlefield. You kind of know how to move out of the way before you get shot because you sense the intention of, a, of an enemy pilot. Yeah, that right. I could almost see that not even being like an ESP thing. It's just like just being a really good, like just having a heightened awareness, but not necessarily in a supernatural sense or anything. Yeah. I think that helps. Ex- that was a, a MacGuffin come up with the creators to help explain why like a 14 year old kid can enter into a which battle. that does retroactively kind of explain a lot about not although by the time they exp- they bring that up in the show specifically by branding it a new type thing you're you're already sucked in that enough that you don't necessarily need the the, the beginning of the show justified to you because you're already if 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 you're if you're stuck out this sh- with the show long enough you've already bought into it so but it does retroactively does explain a lot more about how he can be automatically just take to piling the Gundam so goddamn well. Yeah. And no one else really can. So then the second meta part of this was like my 3 a.m. in the middle of the night reading <laughs> last night uh, about, it was like a 2013 interview with Yoshiyuki Tomino. And he was definitely talking about the new type of person more as a philosophical difference. Okay. Like, um, and he is like the grand grump of anime, much in the way like Hayao Miyazaki is. is grand, oh yeah, like a iconic uh, creator, but also like a grump and grump. Yeah, he's got his um, attitudes, and he's always sticking with him. He does. Like he thinks that uh, anime should be bigger. It should express like ideas about humanitarianism, anti-totalitarianism. You totally That's get that from the first series of Gundam. I don't really know how. He focuses on war yeah. stories. Maybe it wasn't as developed as he wanted it to, but you definitely get the glancing feel for that, though. Yeah, and like uh, he was uh, like recorded as saying, like the biggest enemy of Gundam is like merchandising and toys and the, his own production company. Of, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, for one thing, said you had to change the colors from the dark gray kind of more realistic scheme to the bright. Yeah, you got to give the Gundam, you got to, like, the bright red, red, yellow, gold, and red, blue, whatever the fuck color scheme, yeah. 
Um, Which kind of worked. It kind of worked out though, because it's still it's such an iconic look for the Gundam, though. But uh, so, how much longer did he stay in, in, in control of Gundam stuff? Tomino is still active today, making Gundam stories. I think. Okay. Um, I know of he did the original Gundam show, then um, did other projects, then did Zeta Gundam. It makes sense. He'd be back and. In- Bouncing back and forth, especially since the first Gundam seemed to be and such a bomb at the start. Yeah. Zeta Gundam, 42 episodes, I think. And then it's really? weird. Okay. It just rolls directly right into a new series called Double Zeta Gundam. Which I've heard is just, bullshit. Um, is same director, but complete stylistic shift. Like huh. he, he goes, uh, for one thing, it's about a team of like five kids together this time. Kind of like it's, in the wing? It has, yeah, um, a prototype for Wing, and like it's hmm. more um, broad comedy, kind of slapsticky in parts. Um, That's still him. That's his stuff, or yeah. is that a new? Oh, okay. So respect to him as a creator for doing complete stylistic shift. Yeah. Um, but uh, then, um, then other people did. I think Wing was the next major one after that, which I don't think was him. Yeah, and that was then, good. that was gonna be my next question. If you knew when, like, the, when it started growing beyond his influence, you know? um, he's amazing though. Like, because at one point he decides to just hire Sid Mead to come up with a whole new You're take on Gundam. You're telling me about that? That's fucking so nuts. They come up with something called Turn A Gundam, um, which was rejected by Japanese audiences because it didn't look anything like Gundam. In and retrospect, now I mean I love Sid Mead's work, but I. That's not, it's a different sensibility from the ground up, which I, that's cool that he was looking for that different kind of s- yeah. sensibility, but. Like, he let Sid Mead basically design a Gundam that looks like a, a lady's compact mirror for putting on makeup. <laughs> which, like, um, uh, we should not, not be making fun of that, because Mobile Suit Gundam has a giant hamburger with legs as a mobile armor, but, <laughs> but yeah, exactly, yeah. That's true, but like, like that Turn A Gundam, like, the legs are literally like Lego, um, triangle pieces like wow really it's weird looking you show that yeah i should have also had you bring down some art books but actually that would have been terrible because we would have just been flipping through the art books <laughs> rather than actually talking about Quite stuff. The podcast. maybe after the podcast yeah because i know you do you have do you have an art book for the, this original series like just dedicated solely to that because i was looking that up on amazon last night to see if that's I even a thing have i would love to see your art of, of original gundam yeah, because I know um, you have a bunch, bunch of books that have like talk about different aspects of gundam but yeah nothing that's focused specifically just specifically no, on this. so like um Kunio Okawara was the main mecha designer for the original Gundam. Uh-huh. He had a long history doing um, stuff like uh, some of the, the giant robot um, series from the decade before. Oh, okay. Um, Which you can totally see of... the influence on the Gundam where it's still kind of like just anthropomorphic and kind of boxy. It's mm-hmm. not like, doesn't look like you can really transform or anything like, like that. The, yeah. the whole Xeon uh, aesthetic of design is way more in the old school Japanese like giant robot genre like the robots have like horns and um spikes and yeah. shit like that and, like eh, it looks almost like medieval armor a lot yeah like heck like helmets I was kind of shit. bummed to find out that the white base actually was uh, a design that he salvaged from a previous work that didn't get produced the white base doesn't look like anything else even in the first Gundam series looks completely it's so boxy and the, so the funniest thing that like I had never seen enough Gundam with you that I really got to see much of the white base and so, watching the series was the first time I really got to see the white base in action. But you've had this giant, like, three-foot-long 
white-based toy in your office for so long. I just knew it as a toy, and I just assumed it was a boxier, cartoony version of something that looked more realistic from Gundam. And then seeing it show up in the actual show is like, no, that is exactly like it. That is, <laughs> the toy looks exactly what it looks like in the show. It's all, I mean, it's charmingly boxy and stuff, but it's got like these orbs on the side, and it's got the wings and everything like that. And yeah, it kind of looks like, kind of almost like a sphinx, actually, now that I think about it, with like the, it the, the, the forward base kind of like being the sphinx's paws and stuff. But it is a Pegasus class ship. Oh my god! Looks like a little doggy, and um, yeah. Well, that's the, the, all, they think... call it in the, the the subs and the dubs. They call it the Trojan horse. Yeah. But I think literally in Japanese they call it wooden horse. Um, is that this like is this a is the, cultural... when the Zeon forces don't when they need to just come up with a code name for the white base. They oh, okay. end up calling it wooden horse. I don't know if that's like from a Japanese story. Because Trojan Horse doesn't make any sense because it doesn't do anything like a Trojan Horse does. If anything, it just escapes from the base that they're attacking, but it does, it's, it's not like the, the, well, the Fetties. The Trojan Horse literally was made of wood, right? Yeah. Like, um... Yeah. So it still works, but like, yeah, it's kind of weird. But, um, man, who's your favorite characters? Because I hate to say it, but my favorite characters are, are Mirai and, and Bright. I like this. They're space mom and dad. I mean, I, I, all the, I don't have any least favorite. I love all the characters in this show, but I like them because they're both that like, I love Bright so much, even though he barely has any kind of like character growth. I just love, I didn't realize what he, we were watching, what well, we were watching some of the beginning of the, the compilation movie, which reminded me, I can't remember how much of the stuff is actually in the first episodes of the actual series version of itself. But like he mentioned that he's only like 19 and he's only been in the military for six months. And then he retroactively makes everything that Bright does in the series even seem that much more badass. And the fact that he's not even a badass, but he's just competent. Yeah. And, oh man, that's... Uh, yeah. I yeah. I love him very much. I'm glad that you picked up on these, um, uh, the romantic leanings between Bright and Mirai Yashima. Which never even um, becomes a thing, really, like, text in the show until, like, the last six episodes. Like, there's something, like, right before, like, the thing where, like, oh, when, Je when because Slegger shows, like... <laughs> this uh, bumbling American uh, muscly dude whose name almost sounds like Baseball Slugger. Yeah, uh, I'm exactly, sure it yeah. is. It's in, straight out of the Star Wars world of naming things. Yeah, like, I looked, according to Wikipedia, he's supposed to be, like, his look is supposed to be like Sylvester Stallone, but the character uh, designer on the show had never seen Rocky, so he had to, like, design the character based on, like, I guess the director saying, okay, we need him to look like Sly Stallone, but, like, I don't have any pictures, so I'm just going to describe you what Sly Stallone looks like. He's, like, got a big chin and his face is all kind of boo 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 but yeah. Sylvester Slugger. Okay, that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, I can see that. That too, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, Mira Yashima, she's interesting. Like, um, yeah. With this, the show's going along. She's becomes an incredibly competent member of the crew. She's definitely one of my favorites. Yeah, she. And, um, I, I don't know if she's well. She must be military because she does say that her only. She comes from a noble, rich family, so she's living had, on um, side seven. Yeah. She's had experience flying space. Uh, gliders. That's she said. what it was, yeah. And then um, partway through the series, they go. Um, we find out they're headed to a colony where her ex-fiance lives. Yeah, side um, six, which is a neutral colony. It was yeah. some kind of arranged marriage set up by both their parents because they were from well-to-do families, and um, that was kind of a surprise to me. And you can, I think you can kind of see Bright looks a little jealous, maybe, but um, it's, but they it's never subtle. make a meal out of it. It's just him. He's he's a little bit like worried about Mariah, but like it's never like he never stands stands up and says anything. About oh, I forget like that they overlap. Actually, Slager's already on the scene by then. Yeah, because he's and, just um, been assigned to the ship. Uh, that's the one 
uh, staff change they make after the, the the white base finally hooks up with the Federation after being chased for half the series by Char. Um, they finally like instead I like I was I was like oh my god like they can't replace Bright but um, I thought they would at least put like a new commanding officer in charge of the but no they they even keep the kids on the ship which makes absolutely no sense. There's a little thing they were like oh this is the only home these kids have known we got to keep them on here and I'm like. That doesn't make any fucking sense, but, like, they go out of their way to make sure that the status quo in the ship remains exactly the same, except for Slugger gets brought in to replace, spoilers for Mobile Suit Gundam, uh, Dio, I call him Dio because I'm going to be that anime nerd now, uh, Ryu, Ryu, um, yeah. who gets wiped out, yeah, he's essentially uh, a Sluggo, Slugger, Slugger, Slagar, is brought in to replace him, essentially, yeah, and... And it's cool, he's the one who, um... Uh, reacts. Uh, he slaps Mirai at one point because he thinks she's taking love and this ex-fiance too casually. Which, um, even though she's got a crush on him, which is never articulate. At least I never picked up on it because the moment she slaps him, or at the moment he slaps her, like suddenly she's like, she's like she's like, oh, maybe I'm in love with Slegger. This only goes on for like half an episode. Because, like, Slugger dies, like, the next episode. But, like, in the next episode, she's like, Oh, Slugger, before you go out to battle, I wanted to tell you, Oh, I can't say it. And that's when Slugger's like, Oh, I got my mama's wedding ring. I want you to keep it in case anything happens to me. And, of course, again, like, Miss Matilda, you're like, Oh, he's going to be dead in five minutes. But, yeah. His but death it... is good, though. His death, more than maybe more than Matilda, serves a plot purpose. Like, yeah, because um, or... they're both fighting the hamburger ship. Uh, the, the big Zam. The big, the, 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 not the, 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 the Zam. Like the Big Mac. The Big Zam. Like, part of it was like, is this actually supposed to be a cheeseburger? <laughs> but it's got chicken legs. <laughs> yeah, exactly, got chicken legs. Yeah, and, yeah exactly. Slugger, like, mm. he's shooting up with the G Fighter, which kind of insinuates the G Fighter gets destroyed because, like, a, uh, I think, I can't, the, the, the Big Zam, I think, comes down and kind of smashes, tears open the cockpit. Matilda gets smashed by another. It's uh, Matilda and Slugger's death are kind of slightly similar in that they're at, at, in the cockpit of something when their their cockpit is destroyed. So Matilda is in the Medea when yeah. um, when one of the black tri stars is doing a jump and then he like he double fists his fist and just smashes the, it the cockpit. Down. Like she came out of nowhere and surprised him and he yeah. um, reacted with a killing stroke just instinctually and just took him out. Whereas Slugger, like the cockpit gets ripped open and he gets thrown out into space, which I thought maybe he might still survive because. I couldn't remember because like all I think all the pilots he's are wearing Sylvester the suits. Sylvester Stallone tough. But yeah, exactly. But no, I guess he is gone. But like, yeah, that's the first time. And I think right before Mirai goes to admit her love to Slegar, right before he just goes out and to the mission where he dies, um, Bright out of the blue is just like, oh, it's like the, the, they're in the middle of a battle. Even Bright says, "Okay, I know we shouldn't be talking in the middle of a combat situation, but he talks mic to mic just to yeah, her, right? and he's like." I could be the man who it. takes care of you, and he's and that's it. And Mariah's just like, what? And then like she almost literally stands up, walks out, and goes to talk to Slugger about how much she loves him. And I'm like, oh, she just did Bright wrong. Bright should be like, what the fuck? <laughs> Maybe I did choose the wrong moment. To but that's the only time Bright ever does anything that is not just completely professional for the ship. And it's just kind of a weird timing thing. I need to go back and rewatch that. But it was kind of a weird thing. But like, they just yeah, they were both very cool and like I love how I love even the way Mariah's drawn, where she doesn't have like the pupils like or the the, the white parts of her eyes, but she's mm. kind of drawn almost like almost kind of matronly. And even Slugger calls her the the the, the mom of the ship, which I had been calling her because like Brad or uh, Bright's essentially the, the the space dad on the ship too. But oh man, and then yeah, the, like the fact that the Bright is yeah, he's very young. He's not that much older than uh, uh, Amuro is. Mm. 
And yeah, he has. I did laugh at the breakdown that he has when when Dio dies, when Ryu dies, when because everyone <laughs> literally falls on their knees after he sacrifices himself, which is fine. But the fact that like a thousand other faceless crewmen had died earlier in that same episode, and like they didn't seem to care as much, but it's all about Ryu, yeah. like the main character dying. It's like oh, so Ryu Jose, I got the feeling is a little bit older than um, Bright, and he's really the only yeah. healthy white base crew member to survive the initial attack. Yeah. And I, I didn't know he um he must have had uh, like Bright might have had a senpai type like older brother um, mentor relationship with Ryu. Yeah, because he's um, yeah, because he's definitely like the big brother of the crew. That could help explain Rio, yeah. the reaction being so intensely strong. But I mean, it's not even Bright's reaction, but that everyone just starts crying and falling on their hands and knees, which is a little bit like, wow. And like, again, not because of all these people died, but just because he died. I'm like, I feel bad for like the janitor, the 13 janitors that got sucked out into space earlier in that episode or whatever. But yeah. I didn't, I want to know what happens to Tamara, the ship's cook. Um, yeah, yeah. He's the one who discovered that they'd run out of salt when their storeroom yeah. got blown up. And you like, never he, see him he really came running after. out and he's got these little beady uh, eyes like American so like I was like oh, oh my yeah. god he looks straight like uh, he walked off the Littles and then walked on to uh, <laughs> the white base the fucking Littles yeah and only the doctor you barely see again too there's a ship's doctor it's not quite Star Trek where all these basic that is characters actually get their, their day in the sun but yeah something I really enjoyed on rewatching is the um, the smaller characters uh, I think uh, yeah. Sal Maru or something like that is the name of the, the doctor yeah, he's um, got glasses, and he just—he's a nice character, but he's uh, just there just to be the doctor. Though. I remembered Marker and Oscar being cool, but they are even cooler. <laughs> I'm assuming they must be cooler in the in in, in the movie version because in the show they're cool, but they're just like the navigators. Like nope. they they don't have any inner life that we see at least in the series version. But That's yeah, right. no, they're like um, they're like uh, spoilers from Discovery. They're like uh, the engineer and the oh uh, yeah, kind of like a little bit yeah. Star Trek Discovery. They're, they're that Star Trek furniture that, like, once in a while, you imagine their their little internal life together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No. Oh man. Well, yeah. Fucking uh, who's the who's who's the shorty? Who's the little guy? Hayato. Hayato. Love him. He's 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 a great foil to Kai too, because Kai, Kai's tall and lanky and cowardly and just like he, he's he's drawn in that great anime way where he's got like those saggy eyes that seems to be anime shorthand for like untrustworthy bastard and like i love hayato because we were watching the beginning again on the on the movie compilation version you see that he seems to be almost like just a schoolmate of of arrows or something because mm-hmm. he's just a kid he's literally like lives in the same neighborhood yeah but he ends up being one of the toughest characters on the show because he's always just like go at him let's just go get the job done and he's always just very practical he's almost like just almost like yeah. Ryu's shrunken down in terms of like practicality and stuff. And he has a Finnish background, so he knows Suomi. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, but then, uh, yeah, were you surprised at all by Kai? Like, uh, yeah, he's, Kai he's was such a... set up for an arc because he's such a bastard at the beginning. But he doesn't have in an American show. He would have gone on to become a completely virtuous character. Yeah. He never lets go of that cynical pragmatist. Um, he even he's says still, in the final scene, I'm glad that I've always ass. been a coward. Yeah. No, that's what I'm saying. There's even a bit where, like, uh, who's the short guy? I keep on forgetting Hayato. his name. Like, he's in the gun cannon. Or I guess, it, well, actually, it's funny because we watched the, both the, 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 the series version and the movie version. And in the series version, he's in the gun cannon. But, like, in the movie version, he's just in another gun. T- no, no, he's in the gun tank in the in the series version. But he's in the gun cannon in the uh, 
in the, in the movie version, but he gets taken out and like, yeah, Kai is like, oh, I got to do this by myself, huh? Great. Like, he's just being that kind of sarcastic, not even Han Solo cool way, but just, yeah, kind of cowardly self-centered, but like, at least you've seen a little bit more of him. They give him a little bit of character development because he falls in love with a girl who ends up becoming a spy and stuff like that. So they give him a little bit of character development. Mm-hmm. He gets super bummed when she dies and stuff, but that's the stuff uh, I would hate. Do you know if that stuff got edited out of the movies? Like his no, love and him getting killed and stuff like that? Cause that's me, a great character. Uh, yeah. No, she's still in there. I think. She is in there? Okay, but yeah, that's, I mean, that kind of rounds out that character nicely. Um, I mean, it's predictable. You can kind of see something like that happening just because, you know, you've seen enough media that you understand that, like, there's a good guy who's an asshole. Unless he ends up becoming the traitor, there's probably going to be something that's going to be done to humanize him. In American storytelling, if you're going to have a bad character who's going to have character growth, you need to see them through to, like, extreme virtuosity. Like, um, or virtuousness. And, um... We didn't. You don't get that with Kai. Yeah. Like, well, that's what I'm saying. He this is his the the fabric of his character doesn't change, but he's human hum, humanized to the audience just because the the seeing him go through something none of the other characters really see that much, and so yeah, he doesn't change, but our perspective about the character changes. He kind of you mutters say he to does himself change a little bit, but yeah. When they're trying to leave Ireland, he's an odd character. Like he's willing to give away secrets about the weakness. Um, in the white bases defenses to Miharu. And, oh, yeah, uh, that's right, yeah. Um, even uh, hints about their scheduling, but at the same time, he runs back to his friends and he says, damn it, I, c- I can't leave them all to themselves. Yeah, he's got some inner steel to him still. Well, that's what I'm saying, like, yeah. And, um, yeah. Another cool character, Job John. <laughs> Which you brought up, Job John, to be this huge character. Literally has two lines in this series. Again, it may be a different thing in the compilation movies. Job John is the random curly-haired blonde guy who replaces uh, Dio for, like, Ryu for, like, like three episodes. <laughs> and I'll just, like, even the name to kind of suggest he's just there to, like, do odd jobs on the ship. Job John. Job John is yeah. the... Um... Uh, uh Mini's character on Star yeah, Trek. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, exactly. He's yeah. a Chief O'Brien. He's just like there to rely on. If Chief O'Brien literally showed up for the back... He's almost like Chief O'Brien in this Next Generation pilot where he's just the curly-haired guy in the background just kind of doing stuff but only has two lines. But, you but know. because that character exists on the show, the you have explanation for why the ship survives many battles, oh, why, yeah. why everything runs fairly smoothly. It is nice to have a character like that that shows up from episode to episode so you can see like there's other characters on the ship even if they're not getting big character arcs like everyone else. But there's like... Yeah, there's, there's a cast of characters on the ship that are doing things that exist outside of like the main storyline so on the enemy side Shar um mm-hmm. is a very iconic villain in japanese culture what do you think of him i i can totally see him being so much the genesis of just kind of like the lanky fey kind of smarter than everyone kind of androgynous maybe kind of gay thing that is such even like even loki today in the marvel movies which i see like a lot of like japanese people on like japanese end of tumblr like freaking out about or like i don't know if this is the character you can kind of say is the genesis of that but this has must have been a very formative aspect to that character in japanese pop pop culture which is funny because like I've always seen him with the helmet and everything on that so i thought he was going to be more of like a darth vadery presence where he is the main villain but they got another way to humanize him right from the start, where he's like he meets Sela pretty quickly. You actually see him without the mask. Well, what, that's actually one of the smartest decisions from a Westerner's perspective in 2017 was the fact that like one of the first times we really see him is on the colony side seven. He's running around. He runs into Sela, and you actually see him without the mask off. So we see that he's not actually hiding anything with the mask. He's just like a normal looking dude. So at least 
you don't spend the whole series waiting for him to take off the mask to see if he's burned or something like that, which actually does a character and later on does mention. Oh, but, the rumors of yeah. your face being burned. Well, are not the true. mask thing becomes an actual part of his character. It's not that he's hiding something. It's just like it just becomes an uh, aspect of his something that he the character is doing. But it's not like it's not a gimmick. And it is kind of a gimmick to him within the fabric of the story, but to the audience, it's not like they're going out of way. It's not like a Lost-style mystery, arbitrary mystery they're just throwing at you. Just like it, They're not like making him burned and like hiding his face in lieu of character development. It's just... What is this Lost Makes you, you wonder of? if... I know, exactly. Oh, Lost is terrible. But it is interesting that they get, kind of get that out of the way, and so you're more wondering why he's wearing the mask, not like what happened with him to make him wear the mask, which mm -hmm. is a more interesting question. But, yeah, the fact that he spends the first couple episodes, like, shower, not showering with Garma, Garma, but, like, they're so gay together. It's hard to say it anything otherwise, but they're so, like... You asked me if he was gay. Yeah. And I, I or I, well, not even that, that he was gay, but I didn't know if, like, there was, like, gay subtext in Japan about those two characters, because I would assume those must have been two big characters for, like... You know, I don't know if they were playing with, um... Yeah, I with wonder how tropes conscious because that was. Yeah. a huge iconic. Should we pause or? No, it's fine. It's a doorbell okay. pizza. Yeah, this is <laughs> a huge iconic. Well, this is this a Japanese a uh, theme song too. Oh yeah, Doraemon. Yeah, so this is just in keeping cartoon. with everything. Yeah, longtime listeners of Tardy the Party podcast will be more than familiar to the, those okay. chimes. Yeah. Um, a big. Which uh, we should wrap this up soon because I know that's that's your. Like, oh well, I'm happy to keep going. Like, oh, okay, I've got so much more to say. I know. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Fine. Yeah. Um. Uh, a big iconic villain is Bergkatze from um, who's known as Zol Voltran, Zoltran okay. from uh, Battle of the Planets slash Ninja Science Team Gotcha Man, and that character was a true hermaphrodite. Um, really? Yeah. And, What's the character's uh, name again? Berg, B E R G Katze, K-A-T-S-E, and um, he was a. Uh, Oh, okay. It was a bit troublesome for the American translation because... Okay, I've seen the character because it's got like a big Batman mask on. Yeah, big I Batman mask, it, always intense yeah. lipstick. Um, wow, Sometimes, okay. and the character would literally appear as a woman and sometimes as a man. Oh, within but, the story um, itself, like... Yeah, the, okay. and the character is supposed to be a true hermaphrodite. Gender fluid. Um, and I think that there was sort of a dip in the early 70s in Japan to villainize transgender people. Okay. Like, um, These motherfuckers have buy any David Bowie albums? What the fuck? And so I kind of wonder, like, there was a lot that they were trying to subvert with Gundam. Yeah. Um, the one things might have been that trope of villainizing effeminate characters. So, I think like, um, especially, especially effeminate, though. Although Garm mm. is, because he's always playing with his hair, hair and stuff like that. They they make that, him more of like a. Hey. That is supposed to be spoiled, rich. That's the thing, yeah. Rat. From a cultural perspective, to me, reading this these days, it reads more as like a that that reads more specifically feminine. It makes sense within the Japanese culture. That's more of a, that's more of a cultural status thing rather than just like a sexuality thing. Yeah, because mm. he loves just twirling his fucking hair all the fucking time. シャオ。アレックスの味を発揮ガンダム。恐怖のビグザム。赤い彗星シャーザク。バンダイのプラモデル、機動戦士ガンダム。宇宙要塞ソロモンからテキサス、そして光る空へ。恐怖の伸びる
ニュータイプの運命は RX78 ガンダム無敵のメカニズムパーフェクトコレクション機動戦士ガンダムバンダイのプラモデル I was, I really think of an、uh, end of the first act episode called Sela's、um, Agony as like a really showing,、um, subverting several tropes. Like、mm-hmm. one is、um, not thinking about the ramifications of fights in atmosphere or in gravity versus outer space.、Yeah. Because in Voltrons and.、Um, A lot of older shows, it never mattered whether our heroic giant robot was fighting in space or in. Oh, in, yeah, you go from underwater or... to outer space and back and forth, like on, on the land without any, yeah. Yeah, without any issues. Then,、uh, then you had, like, Sela as a woman decides to fight,、um, and she has a lot of t r o u b l e Is that when she steals the Gundam?、Mm-hmm. Yeah.、Um, there was.、Uh, they were thinking about salt. Like that, I think, is a plot point in that. Is that oh, that is that episode, okay, or at least within that, yeah, that episode yeah. arc, yeah, that range of episodes. Man, it seems like there's one more that's popped out of my head now, but yeah, we'll talk、um, about Kuru Kuru Island in a bit, but yeah, so <laughs> maybe perhaps the nadir of the first third, yeah,、uh, the first act is、uh, the lost episode, episode 15 in the original running order. Yeah. Kurus Kurusu. Doan Island. Yep. Yeah. Yeah.、Um, we'll get talked about you're talking about Sailor's stuff. I like,、uh, so I guess a version of tropes, like、um, going back, is、um, is Shara like gay at all? Or I think it's more maybe they were、really、sort of like not poking much, fun, but they were,、um, they were sticking a bit of a finger at the trope of effeminate characters always okay, being evil. Because、yeah. uh, Makuve also has a very sort、oh, of. Oh, that's how you pronounce it. Okay, okay, I keep like, calling him Makuve. Yep. Like he's like fucking from. Cosmel, Mexico, but yeah. <laughs> Now, well, yeah, Makuve, he, but he is very, yeah, kind of.、Um, he loves、uh, fine things, including like Sung Dynasty vases. And yeah, but he skews he, more towards evil gay. Whereas he's more just like explicitly effeminate and kind of like, like an evil kind of way, where it's more like, hey, 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 I'm rich and blah, blah, blah. But at least, at least he's again, not comical. Like he's, he's yeah, intensely jokes. dangerous and、yeah. um, effective. They spend、fighting. a lot of time building him up, like off screen. Everyone's talking about, like, you don't want to fuck with that guy. Yeah. McQuave. Wait, how'd you pronounce his Makuve. name? Makuve. Makuve. Okay, yeah.、Um, then、uh, it's kind of nice. We have in the Zabi family the main villains, like.、Mm-hmm. We have very different、so、types. Like, we have the gorilla, apish, dozo, zabi, who. He's the big guy with the chin and the scar. He's incredibly、right? physically imposing, but then you see he's the most gentle person because we see his daughter, Mineva Zabi,、yeah. and his wife,、um, and he sends him off away from the battlefield to be safe. So, spoilers, they'll appear later in、uh, oh, a later、really? show because、okay. they survived the one year war.、Oh, okay, I'm glad to see them picking up pieces like that. Yeah.、Um, and.、Uh, And it's kind of a, at least a little bit interesting that his outward、uh, physical presence b- belies his inner.、Yeah. Um, he's both extremely fierce as a fighter, but he's gentle to his family. He's like.、Um, he's not just a cartoon ape who's just trying to. No, no, no.、Yeah. He's like every、um, white,、uh, like、white trash person that I met. Like. <laughs> Extremely loyal and loving to the people that he trusts, and、But、then extremely to brutal、else. to everybody else. <laughs> Jesus.、Um, then we've got.、Uh, oh. 
Giran Zabi, who's just oh, he's the, he's the other guy. Ambition. He's got dark, dark, cartoonally eyes. almost evil. He's the most like most. Actually, out of all the bad guys in the show, he's probably the most. Who's Adolf Hitler? I'll read about him sometime. But whatever, yeah. I'm Did busy trying to take them? over oh, the yeah, universe. That's the guy who yeah, who says like he's he's his father he's, is like sort of aware and scared of how ambitious. Which he is. that even that alone is a humanizing moment for his dad, who they go out of their way to show assassinated. The founder of the Zeon Society, the philosopher, and also who turns out to be um, Char and, and Sela's dad. But I the, but the, the fact that you managed to humanize that guy. Their father, Deglin Zabi, is a person who at the end decides to initiate peace talks because the war is just taking too big of a toll on both sides. I almost wish because there's a whole thing where, what's her face, the daughter of that family. Cassilia Zabi. She approaches the evil guy. Um, Yuen. Yeah, I always forget these characters' names. I already have a hard enough time with names in real life, much less these characters. Can like, I believe uh, I, I can remember them. No, right now. it's but like, there's an interesting conversation they have. Well, she obviously finds out that like he he realizes that, or she realizes that he's just killed their father when he like. It's it's never articulated that he's specifically planned to kill the dad, but he obviously knew that the dad was in the vicinity of the part of the. Uh, the the Federation fleet that they were planning to blow up, and he didn't do anything to keep the dad. He didn't like bother to warn the dad. Hey, when I want to get out of there. When confronts like that. her brother about having killed their father, he just basically says, oh, "That's of no consequence." Yeah, and that is an interesting humanizing. Mo- I, I kind of almost wish I could have seen what was what more was going on in her head about like how like because she even says like why I'll would tell he... you what's going out of his head uh, <laughs> everything yeah laser beams but like it's interesting because she's like why was he there because he, he he wouldn't have gone there to fight because he was who was only on one ship what was he there for and she kind of presses the question a couple times and he keeps on rebuffing her and i kind of wonder if she is if she would have thought her dad suing for peace was a good thing or a bad thing or what. And we never get the answer because then she just suddenly turns around and shoots her brother in the head and takes over. Mm-hmm. And But she continues to fight, so obviously she's not, like, taking over to, like, give up the fight. Cause she, no. she, but it is interesting that, like, even... you could see the wheels turning, but you never find out exactly what was going through her head before her head also things come out of it a little bit later. But, yeah. The ending of the series is her deciding to beat a strategic retreat because, as she says... As long as she survives, being the sole Zabi yeah. uh, of of that generation left, that the Zeon. Um, and you believe that she actually means that that the Zeon will still stand if she's around. I mean, it's not just a power play. In fact, if anything, her brother is forced her in a situation to kill him because she realizes. I mean, she even says like you patriarchal, uh, uh, patricidal monster. So she's obviously upset about that this guy killed her dad. But it is it does make sense that she is the last Zabi really standing at that point. So they need her as just even as a figurehead. And I she's do like only that. the last Zabi standing because Mideva is only is not old enough to walk yet. Oh yeah, so. is that was that Dozel? Wait, Dozel's son okay, or daughter? Dozel, sorry, that's what it was. Yeah. Um, I got so many zombies in this goddamn family. But yeah, I do like, yeah, the fact that even the, the, this evil emperor guy, who you think is going to turn out to be an evil emperor, like, they do, well, actually the first time they show him was when he's re- reacting to Garma's death. And there's even a great form break where when they first show that emperor dude, um, and you, you, for the first time they show him, he's reacting to Garma's death. And it's just him standing up and he drops his cane and actually from at least the dub I saw, or the, not the dub, the subtitle version I saw, steps back for a moment and says like almost like looking back on the story from a far future history he's talking about it. and it is said that at that moment he belied his emotion for his son Garma because he stood up and dropped his cane mm-hmm. and I like 
like that moment where like it does this once or twice throughout the series where it kind of breaks form to kind of like almost like it's relaying the story as a long, long like kind of like a distant legend and not just like mm-hmm. key to the like there's almost like no real narration in this series aside from the beginning where it just says hey this is the year 79 or like kind of giving you the basic layout of like what yeah. the star system is like but i do like the one or two drops in the series itself where it kind of like pulls back just for a moment to say hey this is kind of like a big moment within the fiction of this series, and you should pay attention to that. That looks kind of cool. And yeah, that that, that actually the introduction of the emperor—that's a nice humanizing moment just right off the bat with that guy. So that was kind of cool. So it's interesting to me the way you watch the show. In that, you have forty-three um, episodes in five days. <laughs> Which is that's yeah. The show will start out with um, you have an opening theme song, then you have a little title. And then the title gets excited at the end. With the little exclamation point that pops up as soon as the guy says it, yeah. Then we have a recap about um, either the current situation of the entire war or what's happening in this third of the story. Yeah, the, you can almost break the arcs down by like what the open, what the show feels is the most pertinent information because the first, yeah, exactly. Because there's pretty much three major iterations with some other versions scattered among the series. But yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then in Japanese TV, you always had a five-minute commercial break centered in the middle of the show. Yeah. So I remember that being different between American cartoons and Japanese cartoons was like Japanese is story, 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 a big break, and then story, 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 and that's the end of the episode, as opposed to getting broken up every. Five, yeah, whereas at least in Western commercial. cartoons, you always had at least like two or three commercial breaks in the uh, sc- scattered. We will get G.I. Joe right after we'll this be, yeah, right commercial after these break. messages. We'll be right back. Yeah. Um, and Every then, five minutes. Uh, so then um, the way you watched it, uh, you get a preview of what's going to come next. A lengthy, spoiler-filled preview of the next episode. Like... To the point where I was like, what the... I even, even though I was mainlining these episodes where I was watching, like, half a dozen episodes at a time, it was still like, holy shit, guys, wait a second, like, yeah. And then that sweet, sweet, sweet ending theme of... Amuro, Amuro. I love that the, like, the opening thing and the uh, ending thing never changed, because I know a lot of anime series sometimes will suddenly decide to mix things up in the middle of the show, and mm. suddenly have a brand new opening or closing or anything like that, but that was really comforting. I love like, the big, not up, but very strident opening theme, and the very chill... Do you know what the ending theme is singing about? Like, what's what's the sentiment being expressed there? Oh, smokes. Uh, I looked at the translations once, but I don't remember it off yeah, the top of Yeah, in the right Koro Koro Snow Island episode, they actually did have translations for the opening. I know the opening is all like, burn, burn. Yeah, fly. Fly, burn. fly, Gundam. Yeah, keep on going. That's a very typical, um, exuberant sort yeah, of Yeah, strident military, kind of like rah, rah. Not rah, 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 but like, you've been fucked up, but keep on going. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember, because yeah, I saw the subtitles for the ending and. I, it was it's, isn't, it's a little more laconic a little more like sadder like Amuro hang in there it's okay Amuro you're the future yeah. or something like it's that it's definitely yeah. a minor key um, slow bellad yeah and um, it's just like but, mostly it starts off on his eyes and then it's just him just kind of walking through the stars and kind of kind of like low key and kind of like sad you know both songs so uh, I think it's very cool the way you watched it that you got to see it in the original Japanese format as um, like kids would have watched it then where you get to see the yeah the that's big why I wanted to watch it this format yeah um, I wish that they wouldn't structure it that way I wish they for me I always like seeing the ending credits and then any spoilers so it's easy to jump so thank yeah, you, exactly. you just thank you Doctor yeah. Who for always doing it 
So if you just yeah, if you just jump out of the episode entirely, you're you're not missing anything. Yeah. Um, but man, those two themes, uh, I saw them as you know six year old kid, and they stuck in my head, and I remembered them decades later. Like I mean, they're very catchy music too, but just also the visuals are really nice, and it's just I can't imagine watching another Gundam without that. Which is funny because I'm sure I'll watch another Gundam in the future, and I'll be like, I can't imagine the the, the opening title credits without like that Gundam that okay. I'm watching in the future. But spoiler, because like, yeah. I thought this was so crazy when I found. <laughs> I watched. Uh, so you mentioned you were you liked that it had the same theme for the beginning and the ending yeah. all the way through. In Zeta Gundam, the the show that I would have you watch next if we were to watch, it also chronologically occurs next in the timeline of that universe. Okay. Has two different openings and the they same kill off closing. Like the main character halfway through or something. Um, no, just but uh, they use different music. And, <laughs> See, um, that, that's what confounds me when like they change the title just for no like. <laughs> I got a tickle in my throat for like arbitrary reasons where it's suddenly like it's a stylistic change for no reason. Yeah, which I'm assuming that's kind of what happens there. It's just like suddenly like a different different theme, I guess. I will Oh, so the, okay, I will okay. say if you watch the original Macross show, yeah. They have a different opening for the very first episode because they don't want to spoil that the um airplane can transform into a robot oh that's nice okay see that like that's what i'm saying that's that's a nice justified change to a title sequence okay um so the there's sort of a reason for the change but the funniest piece of trivia to me is that (laughs) i like the theme songs from uh from uh zeta gundam but when I started uh, first time getting the Zeta Gundam discs in America, I was so surprised that they didn't have the original Japanese themes. Oh, yeah? I was trying to figure out what it was. So then years later, I was just looking on Wikipedia, and they're like, oh, yeah, and for the Japanese themes, they just used unlicensed copies of Neil Sadaka songs for the theme <laughs> song. And I was like, what, what the fuck? <laughs> that's um, hilarious. Well, that's like Iron Chef. I love Iron Chef, but all the Iron Chef music is just... It's music that they just stole cues from the from the movie Backdraft, and so whenever they get like often whenever they get shown in the United States, they have to replace all the music because like they just said fuck it, like we'll just like take whatever music and put it in there, and they don't <laughs> want to pay the licensing fee. So now it's like somebody on a kazoo, like Iron Chef. Yeah, that's. <laughs> I love it. Like I can't believe that I've actually gotten into Neil Sedaka because yeah, of Gundam. So, yeah. That's... Um, so those three songs Man. kick ass. Uh, also... It's uh, bad and beautiful. Yeah. Um. Something they days are Japanese. coming, better days are coming, and then I forget what the third one is. Okay. Um, no, they're like, a, if you hear the Japanese song and the American songs back to back, you'll totally get why they're there. But the um, yeah, the Japanese ones for the opening songs are turned more into like upbeat, like um, faster yeah. songs. Um, <laughs> that's ridiculous. With a uh, lady singing the lyrics, yeah. and uh, as always, there's this mix of like um, in Japanese, it'll be like fight, work hard, fly around, and then there'll be some English phrase in the middle, like, um, I love you for all of the infinite time. I've noticed that, like, a lot <laughs> of Japanese intros, where there are some be like, yeah, like, actual, like, it might take me, like, I'm watching, like, the 15th episode, I'm like, oh, they're, that's a, they're singing that in English, like, what the, yeah. Uh, but yeah, even speaking of the format stuff, the first episode, the commercial break, is there's one piece of music that they always use for the commercial break, except for the first episode, it's they add the sound effects that that's which I was like, what the hell is that? After that, it just changes to a bunch of girls going cha 
<laughs> at the end. But they, yeah, it just that uh, that just kind of cracked me up. Which actually heard the doing episode like sound effect in a later episode during a battle or something like that. Also, I should point out we were watching some of the fucking uh, the beginning of the com first compilation movie last night, and we were watching. Uh, must have been a uh, well. It was a uh, the movie had a 5.1 sound mix, so it was a sound mix that was done way more recently than than than, than the actual sound effects for the show. And someone dropped in the Challenger go with throttle up uh, quote from when the Challenger exploded when the white base is first introduced. It's just background like 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 just like uh, comms chatter. But I was like I just poked at him because like as a kid that looks like a traumatizing event the Challenger explosion to be as a kid. But I was like what the fuck why is the Challenger explosion like, you know, part of this, the, the comms traffic uh, uh, sound effect for the white base, but... I didn't know whether that was Gundam. inserted by Japanese people That or could have been Americans. just some smart-ass, like, some local... Well, not even smart-ass, but it, though. That I think that been a was, uh, I think the compilation movies are only available hmm. in uh, um, Japanese... They never got an English cast to redub it. That 5.1 mix, was that just... Because I saw, like, like the, the, the Gundam didn't hit, even hit, like, DVD Blu-ray officially in the United States until, like, two years ago. Like, 2015. Three years ago, I guess now. Uh, or well, at least the, the Blu-ray copies we got, were watching. Yeah, the movies I remember getting in about mid 2000s Oh, so they are actually of that vintage? Oh, okay. Man! And, uh... The... Uh, <laughs> now it's we'll stuck in my that, head! Um, I can see I'm his blue eyes. You let me, um... As soon as we finished the actual series together this morning, yeah. you also let me let you show the movie compilation. Yeah, the we last saw the half first hour half hour of the last movie. Yeah, um, and I, I love. I, I think the show is great, and I think it benefits from the movie compilation version, sort of tightening up the storyline. If I had more time, of I would have actually probably gone back and rewatched the six hours of the of the. Uh... Well, the movie versions, but you get the we most gotta get bang this episode it, out sooner um, than later. But yeah, you get the most bang for it out of the last movie because it has the most replacement um, yeah. animation. I noticed a lot more explosions and stuff. Well, even the sword fight between spoilers between Char and Armor, they completely redo that, like with more detail in the oh. environment that they're in. So how much did? Uh, so uh, just saying about the movie, I love. I think emotionally they tighten it up. Um, there's a bigger. I, I cared more about the characters and their final battle, and then. There was a theme song and a, a little bit more cinematic ending. Um, you got to see sort of the deeper emotional investment. Like, I felt like I could see Amaro just exhausted beyond yeah. everything and sort of giving up on life um, and deciding to willingly sacrifice his life in order to help his comrades get yeah, out. Yeah, because the, 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 both the series and the movie ends with him using his new type psychic abilities to try to like guide everyone out of the base before and he tells them you have to abandon white base which yeah. um on star trek they would not at that time have abandoned the enterprise yeah um and then uh man, it's funny to think this is even like right after star trek the motion picture came out so this is way before even man this I the, the ending on the show is. was a little bit stark like um yeah it, there was just a voiceover saying that an armistice was reached. I kind of like that because it almost said, like, the characters' story ends, and they don't even skip forward, because I thought there would be, like, you'd see the characters in, like, the hospital recuperating, you might see, like, a little bit of a marriage between Bright and, mm. and Mirai or something like that, but no, it just says they've survived the battle, they did what they had to do, everything else is just history now, which I almost kind of appreciate, even mm. though it's kind of an abrupt ending a little bit. It's really worth it to experience both versions. Yeah. Um... Maybe next episode I'll just make it about the Gundam, <laughs> the Gundam movies. But yeah. Um, man. 
Uh, at one point, though, speaking of the the American dub, like I was shocked that I had uh, flipped on a there was a bridge scene, and um, you get sort of like the the slow like wow, and like you hear a lot of whoa, 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 ship sounds, and when I switched over to the American version. I was shocked that they, it basically sounded like Mike TV's scene in Willy Wonka because there was this constant. It's all bleeps and bloops. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I forget that like, when when you're doing it, I guess in in, any English dub, you may not get the whole soundtrack. Like they, they probably, you can't guarantee that you get the original, like you can't get the original series without the, the, the voices, you probably might have to, like, a lot of occasions just build up the whole soundtrack from scratch. So, yeah, then they're, they're just like, okay, let's get some Nintendo 64 sound effects and just drop that shit in there. But, oh, oh man, man, that's rough. Because, yeah, because I, I wanted to watch it subtitled just because I thought that would be the closest to the original. Because that's, you know, like, I was kind of curious to see what everyone's Japanese voices sound like and stuff like that. But then for a while, I did try to throw in the dub voices and it wasn't good. <laughs> My even wife I, heard a few minutes of it. She's like, "Man, this is bad acting." Yeah. Well, even the localization I actually thought was better and more the well script is written. Better. The script is better, but the performances and it, I, I kind of betray, I, I kind of sabotaged myself too because I just watched just enough of the subtitle stuff. So maybe if I'd started with the dub, it would have been different because then everything would have just sounded like that from the get-go. It wouldn't sound so much worse. But because I'd watched a couple hours with the Japanese version, everything sounded a very specific way, even aside from the characters aside. But then like. Hearing Bright sound like, "Hey, how you doing?" Oh, I'm Commander Bright. Yeah, he, he has too adult of a voice. Like, um, yeah. well, I, although the Japanese actor for Bright has a very he's deep pretty voice stir- too. Yeah, he's pretty older. Um, that's my. He's maybe a little bit. Uh, Amaro is perfectly cast. Like, he has a young sounding voice, and he's supposed to be a young character. Yeah. Kai's World Kai's little like a <laughs> squirrely voice is great. Yeah. Um, that's the that's Hayato's the... Ernest's little boy yeah, voice just is very, great. Too. Yeah. It's 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 funny how, like yeah, I'm not that experienced with anime, but I've seen just enough that like I could almost see like the character voice voice archetypes in terms of like, like how like the quality of the voice is like an archetype within like Japanese anime with just like the characters, like just like Kai, where he's like a little bit a little bit of a greasy kind of like, like yeah, kind of like tr- untrustworthy. So he just sounds like as opposed to everyone else is like very like Bright's whole like oh no no you know, like kind of the lower bass and stuff like that, but. Oh man! Yeah, they never show what happened to the captain. Yeah, it's funny because we never captain? we started talking about this plot from uh, the beginning of the show. Paolo? But the captain of the 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 white base, Paulo Cassius, he disappears halfway through the show. I got confused watching it the first time because like he's got purple hair. Amado's dad has got purple hair. So for like the at first blush, I thought I thought the captain of the white base was Amado's dad. Mm. Uh, but no, that I was, but then like. Do they ever show like how the captain actually dies? Because he just disappears after. No, no, a while. no, no. Uh, so we we talked about like um a few characters that were kind of confusing. Yeah. So the then char- there's another guy captain who gets on the, the white arm. base. Yeah. Captain of the white base is talking to you, Jose. He's manning the either a, a machine gun or a missile um, launcher, and Ryu says, "I'll take over." And then explosion happens, and he gets oh, is that injured. What it is? Okay. So then he oh, spends yeah, 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 four yeah. episodes on a hospital bed on the on bridge. On the bridge. Yeah. And then um. He literally dies off screen while during an intense fight. With, okay, that's um, what it is. Uh, I think it's when they vote to attack. Okay. Um, oh, and I forgot about that. that. I like how like democratic that was. Yeah, that was mission. crazy. And uh, at the end, Bright's like, "Hey, that was pretty good, wasn't it, Captain?" Captain. And then uh, maybe I was checking my email there in that moment or something. You know. Um. Then. Uh, 
We were trying to remember how Lieutenant Reed appeared. He's this um Who's the commanding officer of Bright later on, right? Yeah, so what um so I think episode five or six is where the white base is attempting to re enter Earth's atmosphere. Yeah. And there's a Salem I wanna say Salamis class um cruiser that uh, Lieutenant Reed is on, and he gets in a little shuttle, and they're flying ahead of the white base, and um, Shar goes to attack them, trying to enter the atmosphere. And so his ship gets damaged, his shuttle, and then the white base moves ahead of it and docks it in through the back. Yeah. And then, um, so that's when Lieutenant Reed suddenly appears on the bridge, and is um, he's higher ranked than Bright, and he's really annoying. He's always not trusting Bright. He's yeah. always, like making these bad decisions yeah he makes bright look really good from just contrast wise yeah um which maybe was important to bright's development as a commander it also actually really kind of sells the 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 crew because even though it's only like less than half of the episodes into the show really sells the crew as a cohesive whole because you suddenly realize how weird this like foreign element into the crew already seems kind of weird because he doesn't necessarily believe everyone at face value. He, he hasn't, like, earned his place within the crew uh, from an audience perspective. I didn't quite see how he came on, and I didn't see how he left. Well, I think but there's, in the, reading the book, there's a gunfight where, like, his arm gets hurt, so his arm's in a sling when he's on the bridge later on. But, and like, then um, what I read is that um, when, Matilda, no, when Matilda shows up to resupply the ship yeah. the first time, she takes... Um, Lieutenant Reed and some of the refugees off the ship, so that's oh, why they disappear so quickly. Again, maybe she said something like that. And I just missed it because yep. I was like, like it's maybe a, I was like, like jerking off to Matilda or something. I was like, I was like, Amuro, to entrust her beauty. I just don't, didn't even read the text. I, I guess yeah. you're getting a, you have a new type boner too. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that's why you got a thing for me, right? Too. Uh, yeah, Mira's great. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the funny thing. How they they, they kind of like guess, yeah when they're, when they're doing the new type of electricity and shooting out of people's heads at the end, you see a little bit come out of Mirai's just like in one shot. Where I'm like, okay, well, and it's kind of confusing a little bit at the end of two because uh, even Bright talks about how like they have they even he mentions how like they have a little bit of new type latent power. So it's a little bit like I thought maybe the new types would be a completely distinctive different class of people, but I guess everyone has kind of like it's almost like the Jedi. It's almost like the Force in Star Wars, where technically everyone's Force sensitive to a little bit, but the Jedi's are just the people who can like are Force sensitive enough to actually like manifest their powers. I think also similarly to Star Wars and the Jedi, it's a concept that sort of changed over time in the Which mind makes of sense, the creator, yeah. and then they sort of retcon it too a little bit. Universal Century 0079. Mankind lives among the heavens in colonies called Sides. But Side 3 has a dark secret. Take your sorrow and turn it into anger. The Principality of Zeon has declared war on the Earth Federation. Zeon thirsts for the strength of its people. Mankind will be caught in a conflict that rages from the Earth to the stars. Depends on a ship called White Base and secret weapons. A homeless boy with powers beyond comprehension. Those lightning reflexes. It's like he sees the future. His name, Amaral Ray. His weapon, Gundam. of orphans and rejects will change the face of history or die trying. 
Company is proud to present the most groundbreaking anime saga of all time. Fully restored, Mobile Suit Gundam. Premieres Monday, July 23rd at 5. Suit up for the first time. Federation has dispatched its entire Mobile Suit Force. Only to Abe. Because it's funny, because you don't necessarily need the new type in the story, because the new types... I mean, all, all all the new type stuff really does is justify, from a practical perspective, why Amuro is so good at piloting the Gundam. But, I mean, if you if you lost the new type stuff, you'd lose Lala, which is kind of interesting, and she's an interesting bond between uh, Amuro and Char, but... Yeah, there was a nice little triangle. Uh, a real wasted opportunity was right before that, they bring on this character named Charlie Abul, who's um, the sort of the Xeon Empire's leading light in terms of uh, a experienced fighter who has new type abilities. Yeah. And, he gets and they wiped give him like this really cool ship. I got the toy for it here. The oh, Barbaro, yeah, that's what it was. Okay, yeah. Which looks way cooler than um, the Elmeth that Lala soon flies. Yeah, which is just kind of like the worst design of the whole fat series. burrito of a weird looking thing. Yeah. They literally call it, the the Federation literally gives it the um, nickname Tricorn Hat. Yeah, they, yeah, they which even that is like, yeah. Although the Federation, would, I mean, they, they, you know, they would be justified in trying to give the stupidest names possible to enemy ships just to be, just to be like humiliating towards them. But yeah, but yeah, I forgot about that. The the the, the charitable. I call him charitable because like some of his, his names sound like like the almost like an English version of charitable. But like, yeah, what was his name? Charitable. 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 Yeah. Okay. He's a cool dude. I like the way he was drawn. Um, I like. I, I'm so attracted to the way the characters are drawn. I think Yoshikazu Yasuhiro is a great illustrator. Um, he sometimes does the same uh, like uh, types. Like he did a, show, a movie called Crusher Joe and it had a big brutish guy with a scar on his head who looks exactly oh, so like Dolso like, Zabi. Yeah. Um, and then in Zabangalu, like, uh, the main character there looks almost just like Amaru Ray, except for he's wearing goggles, um, all the time. Yeah, a little Mexican fro. Uh, he looks like the Psychonauts goggles. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Oh, okay. It's very iconic. I wonder if that actually may even be a reference in Psychonauts. <laughs> I, I mean, not just that. any character with goggles, but, um, oh, man. Or, uh, maybe the worst I'm thinking of is, uh, another show called Ideon, which was done by, um, Yoshiki Tomino, and, uh. It uh, that the main character there looks exactly like Amuro Ray as well. Oh, okay. Um, but uh, I was looking at these synopses on Wikipedia, and they will have like four or five screenshots, and it's interesting because there are ones where I, I look at a, a frame from it, and I can tell, um, oh, the character designer on that was the animation director on that one because like it's just drawn so right in the. Yeah, because he was probably actually drawing some of the, like the keyframes for that mm -hmm. stuff. Yeah. Um, and pretty, I was pretty good at uh, like uh, estimating it, and then scrolling down to the bottom of the wiki page and seeing, yep, a Yoshikazu Yasuhiro, oh, yeah. animation director. Um, uh, he did, uh, and they did some stuff that was pretty new, like the, the psychic. I'm trying to depict uh, a psychic attack or the the new type abilities. Um, yeah, it was 1979. Like it gets really psychedelic, but not in a kind of a messy, sloppy way. But it's actually kind of like, interesting looking. Yeah, trying to depict such an abstract thing. Uh, was yeah, I'm sure that becomes more of Gundam's bread and butter as the new type stuff becomes a bigger, bigger thing for throughout the series. But like, again, late like the '70s, that's actually pretty well put together for 
I guess uh, a show that was to kind of like exist really only sold kids to kids toys. Yeah. yeah, you didn't see as you didn't see any psychic attacks in He Man. Let's put it that way. <laughs> like anything that was nearly as ambitious as anything. What do you think about the kids? Because I was kind of I was when I saw three little kids, especially when they had an opportunity to get rid of the kids mm. when the when the white base gets to Janguro base and they still keep the kids on. What do you think of the kids? Just the presence in the whole show in general. I don't know how much they. I assume they get cut out quite a bit in the compilation movies. But I did they're, like. They're iconic at the ending of the show. I yeah, because they kind of help save everyone's and, ass. Um, at they the gave end. an excuse to have a nudity scene where. Um, <laughs> I forgot. Where about our that. female characters just happen to be taking a shower and. Uh, oh, was that right? Just happens to be walking. Oh, was that Frau yeah. Bo? I can't remember because you uh, do see all the characters times, taking baths. But... Yeah, all the lady, all the the three white ladies of the ship. The, the three ladies on the white base, and invariably you see taking a bath and get to see. Although some to be fair, um, growing up in Japan with my family, we oh, took yeah, baths together a lot. Like I think it, it's, I think nudity. Well, it's the Totoro thing where like they they, they they take a bath with like you see two like little girls naked, but it's less of a thing. Yeah. 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 Well, you still get to see some some midai titty. How you doing? Oh, let's see. Bright wishes you were there though. That's what I'm saying. It's 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 not lascivious enough, but. Um, should should we talk about it? We're getting to the end of the podcast. We should wrap this up soon. But Kurukurus Dawn Island. Okay. What do you think? I, it's some bullshit. It was. I was disappointed. Like <laughs> I feel bad because it's actually not that bad of an episode. Oh, you go go ahead. Yeah, I asked I'll you just, about it. I was uh, not much. Just I did this not know of its 15. existence until fairly recently, and then I was like, "Well, this episode 15 wasn't on there." I went to my basement, go pulled out my old DVDs, saw that it wasn't on there. I was like, "Well, I'm going to go look this up." Yeah. I went to Kiss Anime and um, risked getting uh, Russian malware viruses to go watch it, and I was like, "Oh." Yeah. So this is an episode that the creator always. Uh... It's funny because he talks about like the reason he disowns this episode is because he didn't like the animation. Uh, from my perspective, I didn't even realize this was a this was a lost episode until after I had seen it because it was the first episode of Gundam so far where I was like, wait, plot wise that doesn't make any sense because this is relatively soon after um, the white base has gotten to Earth and uh, they get a distress call, a Federation dis- distress call from an island in the South uh, South Pacific. So Amaro hops into the G fighter to go check it out. He finds two Federation officers tied up in what looks like an ancient crashed Federation ship. And he goes to untie them when suddenly he's attacked by uh, Zukon. Wait, what, what, what are the name of the suits? The Zukons? Uh, Zaku. Zaku suits. And it turns out that guy, hes he was actually, like, he was an actual Xeon officer who killed the parents of these kids on the island and stuff like that. But anyway. And he was ordered to kill the children, but he just couldn't do it. Yeah, so now he's their protector, and now he has to, like, now the Xeons are after him because now he's a traitor of the Xeon cause, and so they're coming after him, and, and Amaro kind of learns to help him and stuff like that. Which, that's all fine, but they never explain who those two Federation pilots, like, those 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 two Federation they pilots, died. they never show, do they die? Do they get blown up? Uh, no, like, um, they're both very weak. Amaro unties them both and is talking to the first guy. And he, he is, dies. like, saying, hey, yeah. Then attack begins, and then Amaro grabs the second guy and brings him over to his core fighter. Oh, so for, that is explained um, a little bit protection. better. And then the guy also explains. But it's still never explained, like, who they were. Because, like, cause especially because they're tied up, so it makes it yeah. seem like Doan is the one who captured him and somehow tied them up and put them back in this wreckage of this plane, but it's never explained, like, what was going on? Like, the whole reason that this episode starts never really gets fully explained, because, like, at the end, Amaro just says, hey, you're... Wait, does Doan die in that episode? No. 
Um, they, oh, and maybe they wreck. They just you know, the, the, the his mobile suit gets fucked up. Uh, Gun or Ch- Amuro wrecks his. I, I just happened to read the synopsis. So I haven't rewatched okay, it yeah. recently. But Amuro wrecks his Zaku. Then um, the uh, Dolan says, "Well, you better go toss it into the ocean oh, so that's that what the, was, nobody yeah. can find it because I know the Zeons are going to come looking for it." Yeah. And um, the kids are crying. They're like, "Don't get rid of it! Don't get rid of it!" And Amuro chucks it into the water, and then. Kurukurusu Doan says, well, Amuro did the right thing, so don't be upset, kids. Although he could have kept it around long enough just to help rebuild their house to get smashed. Because that would be a big help building tool, but like, yeah. Maybe Amuro used super napalm. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly, yeah. What was... Oh, he uses that to destroy the, the extra parts on side 7 base. Yeah. Um, I did like seeing the little bit of we see on side 6 base. The neutral territory, which is just looking up on Wikipedia, that's where War in the Pocket takes place, I guess. Okay. Which I've always heard good things about, and like I said, like one of the first Gundam things I ever saw was with you, and I think we saw like like a big part of the last episode, mm-hmm. and so that's and so I'm assuming that takes place during the so one war. Uh, side six, uh, it's not the one, not Big Texas or Little no, Texas. No, that's okay. that's another. Th- I think Big Texas, like right after they escape from Side Six, but yeah, Side Six is the colony where. Uh, Mirai is actually from. Mm-hmm. That's where her okay. bow is from, and okay. that's who. That's while they're oh, that's there. Right. That's when Slega. Uh, they Slager, put seals all over all the gun ports and everything. Which I thought that was kind of cool. They're like, economy. yeah, this tape breaks. We're gonna fucking fuck your shit. Oh, no, we're gonna find you. Which yeah. I thought that was kind of like a funny. In, I mean, um, I guess what else can they do? But in the they don't do it in this original series, but a big part of the following series is that because Minovsky particles block radio, radar, and um other electronic transmissions, uh, you're really reduced to battling line of sight. Yeah. And the, the only big way to communicate on a big battlefield is through big flares. Um, and so... Which kind of gets used once or twice in this series. But a big not, thing it's, in, it's... The, in the later series is, like, people signal battles through flares, and, like, if a ceasefire is declared, yeah. and then you continue fighting, there will be huge repercussions, like... Uh, like your your family will get economically um yeah that's cool because it's not just like flat out like the kill 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 i like the fact there is kind of like well it does does suggest that there are accords set up yeah that like if you violate these accords even this huge war or in so much western stuff it's all about like fight to the death and blah blah blah. i do like the idea that like uh if the side six was able to declare an independent colony and that's what Zeon was fighting for that's a good point there's a little mm. bit like yeah which i don't know if that would be addressed in a future gundam's show or something like that but that's also where um amuro he's going running around he's like goes to the bookstore bumps into his dad at the bookstore his dad's all like hey, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, i i feel so because they also bring up i think it's the first time they bring up they actually have they could they quote the the, the final song the, the end credit song, which I thought uh, was going to be interesting, because they're almost setting up the fact that he's going to run into his dad, because I was like, wow, this is really weird, because, like, it's just Amuro, he's just taking a break from all of his Gundam duties, he's just on a bus, but they're, like, quoting, like, the end song of the series, and I'm like, mm-hmm. what the hell's going to happen? And yeah, he just kind of looks around, and he sees his dad in a bookstore, like, he's got, like, a copy of Penthouse Magazine tucked into a copy of, like, Science Weekly, like, and, like, he ends up, like, running after his dad, after his dad hops into a car and, like, chases his dad all the way to, like, his dad's house at the end of uh, the outskirts of town, and, like, he finally catches up to his dad after all this running, and his dad's like, oh, hey, Amuro, what's up? And it's like, Amuro is justifiably like, I'm alive and you're alive? How are you? And like, yeah, and then you find out that his dad's got space poisoning or whatever it, from. Low ox, like his. It, yeah. 
in that early Which, attack, he lost too much oxygen. Yeah, again, it wasn't until rewatching that first, uh, the events of the first episode in the compilation that you see. Actually, there's a part where uh, Amuro blows up the first Zaku that he's fighting with his beam sword. It explodes, blows up part of side three, and his dad gets sucked out into space. And so I guess his dad gets rescued, but now he's all him grasping at his face mask. I think. Yeah, and that's something they've never really addressed. That like, of course, like like. Uh, Amuro never finds out that he's in indirectly responsible for his dad now just being kind of like mentally toasted, and he meets his dad, and his dad's like, "Hey, I, I like, yeah, I built you this piece of junk. It'll like, you know, it'll enhance the combat abilities of your Gundam by ten times over." And like, Amuro's super like, he's like, "Oh, this is a piece of junk," but he's trying to talk to his dad, and it's all a very sad scene. And fuck, it was yeah, and I like the fact that like. Again, other other like Western stuff would have been tempted to like make his reunion with his dad like this big thing and have give his dad his whole crazy backstory about what happened to his dad and like maybe the dad's fighting for the enemy now or something like that. No, his dad's just a casualty of war, and the fact that really Amro doesn't even really realize that he's actually partially responsible for his dad's current state and you never see his dad again. But it's just kind of a fucked up. I don't know. I just thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. <sighs> Again, see, let's try. Let's see He-Man do that shit. Um, I like <laughs> He-Man's becoming more of a punching bag than anything else. Um, As it deserves to be. Yeah, my notes. Yeah, I just made a note about Ryu's death being a comically big deal. Not comically. He was a great guy. The most mature dude on the ship and the first major character death that we've had since the show started. But what yeah, about just... when Matilda dies? Matilda dies, like, right after that, I think. It comes in clo kind of close succession. Oh, and then, yeah, my next note after that is the best moment of the series so far was Emma's reaction to Miss Matilda blowing a kiss. Um, yeah, the show really begins to sag in the middle as the white base slowly crawls its way around the world from the Grand Canyon to New York to the South Pacific with a gauntlet of random Xeon lieutenants of the week constantly attacking. Uh, and I just make a note of, yeah, that said, Earth is supposed to be the home base of the Federation, which we're told outnumbers the Xeon forces 30 to 1, but despite the white base literally traveling all over the world, the good guys don't encounter a single Federation stronghold until two-thirds of the way through the story, when they get to South America. Everywhere, everywhere else, from North America to Asia to Europe, has been in complete control of the Xeon. I was looking up the Wikipedia, the Gundam Wikipedia, because uh, I noticed that, like, in the compilation movie, the first compilation movie, when they show the Xeons dropping uh, a colony onto the Earth, they kind of redrew the city that it's landing on. I was kind of curious to see if that was New York or something like that. That's supposed to be Sydney, Australia. Hmm. Um, at least at least as retconned in, in the movie and then in the wiki. I guess maybe that's... I, I think that's specifically mentioned in the novelization, I guess, that the guy okay. wrote a couple years later. But yeah, and there's supposed to be a whole thing about how that created like a 500 km, uh, kilometer wide crater so there's this giant like gulf in the middle of australia now or at least on the coast and stuff like that and i was like fuck that's i liked that that went into more because that is a fucked up thing it's one of the first things you see in the series it's just, like during the opening credits and I'm like fuck that's mm. um yeah it's a little more it's a little unrealistic that the federation wouldn't assign any new more experienced officers to the white base when it finally makes it to Janguru base which i get that would have been a bummer mixing up you know the crew but it's nuts that the Federation lets the kids stay on a white base, even as it becomes a decoy for the rest of the war, with the flimsy excuse that this is the only place they've ever known, and, well, they've got to grow up sometime. The one thing is, yeah. there is a line somewhere in the show where they say, 
the Federation is basically using you guys as guinea pigs. Um, because, oh, yeah, that's a good point, because too. Because you tend to use such unorthodox tactics. That's why they're allowing you to continue crewing the ship. And I will take a shitty excuse to keep the status quo, because the status quo is so good. Although, like, I wrote this right before they actually signed Slegger to the thing, so th then I was like, should I delete this? Because like, they actually did change the, the, the cast a little bit. Also, Slegger's such a piece of shit. And my last <laughs> note is actually, can you survive? Which I fucking love that. And that's the thing. One of the first, you watch the first episode. I'm like, I gotta love any show that every episode ends with. Can you survive? I was like, yes, I can't survive. Start the next episode. Let's keep on trucking. But yeah, like I didn't even take that many notes just because I was so just loved just watching the show. I wasn't really too worried about picking it apart or anything like that. I just had a really good time. Would you recommend it? Yes, especially I would actually, I would forewarn people about how slu sluggish things get on Earth. Mm -hmm. But you can't really skip any of that because it's such a good character. And at that point, if 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 people can't tolerate that, I would just say watch the compilation movies. But at the very least, I mean, if you have plenty of time to kill and you don't mind killing a couple extra hours just on the, with the Earth stuff, yeah, there's no reason not to watch the original series. Did you feel emotional at the end seeing some of the iconic um, elements of Gundam, like the white base or the Gundam itself? Yeah. The gun, man, that's, I forgot they actually destroyed both of those things. The uh, the white base is much of the Gundam itself, because the Gundam is cool. But you kind of, I'd be kind of shocked if they got out of the series, like, in one piece. But the white base is even more just the home for everybody, like, including Amuro. That was even more fucked up, because we've seen it gone through so much shit. And actually, even this point, the Gundam, I just assume, is mostly just, it's, <laughs> the parts have been replaced so often, <laughs> that's probably not even the same machine that we saw at the beginning, really, except for maybe some of the circuitry. But yeah, seeing the white base get torn up at the end. They never did show exactly what the big blue and yellow bubbles on the side are for. Because I saw that like sometimes it will be like up and the um, gun platforms come uh, out. Yeah, the uh, mega particle cannon. Oh, is that what it is? Okay. And, uh, actually, my toy does have. Uh, oh, it does pop out. The, yeah. Oh Although shit! The, um, you have to replace it with the other part. That oh, I see. The... But it's still like yeah, it's it's modular enough. You could put that there. But yeah, the white base as chunky and as fucking toyish. As it looks in the show, just like yeah, it's the it's it's where mom and dad, Bright and Mariah, that's where they that that that's the house and their mom and space I dad. And, and I, I get moved dad. every time, watching the end, <sighs> seeing the white base destroyed. Well, everyone's reaction to it. I get. And uh, actually, just even seeing the Gundam get wiped out too, yeah. Yeah, and and also seeing the exhaustion, the um, Amuro pushed to the limits. Yeah. And then him being willing to sacrifice himself for his friends, like. He's, he's grown out of his shell. At the beginning of the story, he's like almost an Asperger's-y, like, um, isolated individual. He's famous because he's hobbyist. I do like there is a note where, like, yeah, he's famous all over the colony because he's a master hobbyist, which cracks me the fuck up. Yeah. Um, then, uh, so he's got big development. Then, uh, yeah. uh, Bright slowly grows and improves. Then, um, Mirai... Uh, she grows and improves, and um, yeah, she becomes more, even more competent as a pilot. Although, yeah, she doesn't really have much of an arc other than like getting over Slugger. But like everyone, just just yeah. Frabo doesn't really have much of an arc. Um, yeah, that's yeah. She really doesn't. I mean, we get the idea she that she might have a crush on Amuro. She yeah. She watches after the kids. She she helps like uh yeah with the running of the ship. Um, yeah. She does, I guess, learn to take over for Sailor, so at least from she gets more responsibility. But, like, yeah, she doesn't have much of an arc. Which, I guess maybe that could be a stereotype of anime. 
at least her older enemy is just like she's just like the love interest and she's not bad or anything like that but she's just a little bit shallow she doesn't get nearly as much uh development as even like sailor or something like that yeah hayato maybe we see a bigger arc just in terms of progression 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 never big dips and rises yeah. well he gets knocked out of the story for a while because he gets hurt and it's funny because like his his character growth not even character growth but he does get hurt for a while and he does get to come back so you can imagine he's like i mean not character yeah i don't but he does have a little bit of a something happens to him though like mm. yeah it's it's whereas was i guess kai's character growth is just falling in love and that girl dying and him freaking out but kai, stuff happens to all kai the characters more or less to uh to think of his crew as more than just yeah um just an obstacle yeah, he's not nearly as opportunistic as he was at the beginning of the series. Yeah. Uh, Char. Char grows. Well, it's interesting to see him react to Lala's death, and I thought that was one of the interesting things, too, like heading into the last episode, where they kind of flip things from what you would expect it, where you would think in a conventional story, you would have the villain be the new type and have demonstrative powers and be... And that the good guy would be the underdog who's hoping that he could have new type powers. In fact, that's kind of like how Star Wars ends. Where Darth Vader is the guy with the Force. And like Luke Skywalker, he's like hoping he can use the Force to blow up the Death Star. Gundam ends this where you have both guys going into a, ta going into a battle against each other. And it's actually Char who's like, they've put me into the Psy communications capable machine. I, I, I'm hoping I'm new type, but I can't guarantee it. Mm. But I've got to take this... Uh, Amadoro out, and he's not quite sure if he can do it. But that's just interesting because that, that, like, like an easier, like you would, the easy way to raise the stakes would have flipped would be to flip flop that situation. I love that it's Amaro. It makes him, uh, makes Char that much more well rounded character that he's like hoping that he's also new type, but he can't. I guess you do find out that he's new type, new new type because he ends up sword fighting with. Well, he does end up kind of going toe to toe with Amaro mm -hmm. in the Gundam fight. But he then more specifically, to... when they communicate, when they, they headbutt at the end of the sword fight, and, like, they have the whole thing, thing with Lala, like, obviously, yeah. Like, but I thought that was an interesting way to present that character, Char. Just... He says, you've only developed further because Lala has lent her power to you. Oh, yeah, that's a good to point, you. too, yeah. And, oh, um... and Side 6 is also where uh, Amuro bumps into uh, Lala for the first time. While she's driving Char around, or whatever the hell that was. And about, at yeah. the very end, it does seem like Amaro's just sort of spent and given up. And then he kind of hears uh, Lala's voice saying, "Like, you don't have to give up and die right now. We can be together at any time." Yeah, which because kind of pulls him one of the ideas with new types is that you can exist beyond time, outside of a timeline. Did they play up that more in future series? Because from my perspective, oh, that almost seemed like just her ghost saying, hey, if you love this Joshin, you'll love Titanic. Because mm -hmm. that's how Titanic is. The ghost of Jack Dawson. Rose, you can not live. But, um, but yeah, I don't want to mock this. This is a very sincere ending, and, he, and you love this series, and I like this series, and I don't want to make fun of it. But, yeah, no. I'm Not that I'm trying to make fun of it or anything like that, but, yeah, I don't want to boil it down to not that Titanic's bad either. What the fuck am I talking about? Anyway. I still haven't seen it, so. Yeah. Well, that's what I was joking about. Like, <laughs> trying to draw parallels. If you love Gundam, then you'll love Titanic. 
which no human being has ever said before in the history of the world. Oh, I thought half the world's population said they loved Titanic and yeah. saw it multiple times. But they're, the, they're the ones who deserve to die, according to Dozel Zabi or whatever. They're, they're, the, they're not the pure uh, part of the master race, the, the Zeon race that deserves to live. Man, I'm trying to think of anything else because, yeah, 43 episodes, 20 plus hours of the show, there's just so much in it, even though, like I said, a lot of it on Earth seems to be filler, but still, the characters are good and strong, and I could see why this changed anime forever. Like, not uh, even aside from creating its own, like, genre in the robot, like, you know, like, big robot suit stuff, but, like... Then again, I mean, I'm not that familiar with anime to see, like, how much how, how much shows were do already doing this stuff before Gundam did it in terms of character development and stuff, but just even the serialization. And like I said, the, the, the closest show I can say that I've seen to anything like this is Battlestar Galactica. Which is a show from like 12 years ago that was critically lauded and they sent the cast to the UN and it was like this big game shifting stuff and I'm like, there's this kid's t toy TV show from 1979 from like 35 years earlier that did some of the same shit and was just as real and to some extent. And even Gundam fans seem to have a lot, a lot of them forgotten about it because like a lot of people like their favorite Gundam, maybe they've never even seen the original series, but they got into Gundam through other stuff and like maybe they have a hard time getting into the original series, but there's such a... It, strong seed of stuff in the beginning of this original series that I am super glad that I started off Gundam with just going back to the core source and just seeing the whole thing and having you with me to being there being, being my cheerleader and my guide for all this <laughs> stuff too so that means just as much as anything else too it's it's really fun thank Dude. you for sharing Gundam with me this has been amazing and like to think this is not going to be it there's, there's so much more Gundam I can go to if I want to there is <sighs> a lot of good stuff and dear listener please be careful there's a lot of <laughs> That's stuff the... <laughs> that I'm not as much into. <laughs> that's uh, the thing with everything. That's kind of like what's happening to Star Wars now. Where I love Star Wars, but now there's just so much Star Wars. The ratio of good Star Wars to bad Star Wars is getting really... <laughs> blah, blah, blah. So but I, still, said I kind of didn't care as much. There's like a whole bunch of Gundams that are um, sort of very juvenile. Like rah-rah kids kind of episode of the week. Bad guy of the week just shows up. Gets it almost beaten. sounds like the antithesis um, of what the guy who made Gundam was. But there's other weird stuff like... Um, there is a whole series about um, people who take these Gundam robots and judo fight with them. Really? It's a competition around the world. Yep. Oh, wow. Called G Gundam. Um, <laughs> then my uh, my brother sent me uh, uh, one of those, a disc of that, and it had four episodes. And I was like, oh, wow, like new Gundam, a series I never checked out. And yeah. I like put it on, and I was like, what is the this? Fuck? Like, they're, 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 like, they all look like Super Street Fighter Gundams and... They're actually super, like super street fighting. Or and, yeah, yeah. Um, the, it's actually pretty hilarious. Like each nation gets to send one. So basically, each international stereotype, like so, not, it's kinda, not it that is it's like street drunk, fighter I, meets yeah. like Pacific Rim a little bit. Yeah, it is. Um, and I know how much oh you love God. Pacific Rim. Uh, but um, for the listener, I would say if you have a similar mind to myself, and I think that you appreciated this. The universal century-based ones have a little bit more of a, a realism about them, okay. a little bit more episodic, and they generally focus on the big themes that are important to Yoshiyuki Tomino, which was an anti-war sentiment and thinking about the human cost of conflict. What are your favorite Gundams? Like, aside from even just, like, suggesting that now that I've watched this, I should go into Zeta Gundam, but, like, what are your, like, favorite three or four like bodies of working within the Gundam's like series. Probably Zeta Gundam is my top one. Okay. Um, and then uh, the um, 
the the original Gundam might be next. And then after that, there's different stuff. I, I really like that. And what I would guide you if I get the chance to is the original Gundam, yeah. then Zeta Gundam, and then the follow-up, the movie Shars Counterattack. Okay. Which, yeah, finished. you said you just pulled the trigger, you just bought the Blu-ray um, off. Yeah. Then uh, there are other ones you've mentioned that you've read about, uh, like 0080 War in the Pocket and yeah. um, MS-018, which, yeah. which are little side stories set within and around the one-year conflict. More often than not, I've seen people, like, when I even when I tweeted that, that I was doing this project, people were recommending that I do 088 MS Team or whatever that is. Uh, which is, uh, that also takes place during the one-year war? Uh, yeah, I think... 0080 uh, is War in the Pocket. Yeah, that's War in the Pocket, but then there's also um, the so MS... So that's literally, uh, I think, trailing end of the, of the one-year war. Yeah. 08th MS team is, I think, about um, a... Is that like South America? Like some kind yeah, of something? It's like a ground-based team testing out ground-based Gundams. Yeah. I'd almost Earth. be tempted to check those out just because... They're worth them it. Them taking, taking place during the, the, the show I just saw and then leaping forward in the future to, to Zeta Gundam, yeah. A whole um, eight years, but... And then yeah. last night I started to show you Gundam San, which is like... A... That looked fucking great! You told me about there's a manga about the production of Gundam, and that's done by the same author who started this um, parody of Gundam called Gundam San. Oh, that's the same... Oh, wow, yeah. okay, yeah. Um, which is a series of, like, two-minute um, parodies. Uh, it's all chibi, super A lot deformed. of weird yeah. inside jokes about Gundam. I thought it was like I thought it was a licensed thing until Amaro showed up in Japanese rope bondage at the end. <laughs> like it was produced by Bandai. Oh, it is actually produced by Bandai because it's got Char like he's naked and he's dancing, and it just got like oh fucking cracked me the fuck up. Yeah, Gundam is a big universe, and there's lots of variations on it, and um, and there's some I don't even acknowledge, like the Gunpla. Um, build fighters that's so funny because i i even pointed because i was looking up on wikipedia and they talked about because i was looking up gunpla because like you've got a whole bunch of the models and stuff so i was looking up online and i've heard people make fun of not make fun of gunpla but like i've heard i've heard on podcast people like joking to other people who don't like anime like i'm gonna get you in a gunpla my gunpla i'm gonna go to this gunpla meeting other people are like, what the hell is gunpla i don't know what it is and so looking it up i didn't realize there were at least two uh, I don't know if they were animated, but there's at least two works of fiction within the Gundam universe about Gunpla fans actually being the heroes where, like, their toys end up becoming, like, I don't know if they grow big or something like that, but end up becoming, like, save, like machines that save the universe. It is the worst commercialist aspect. Like, that really um, is. It's as evil as Pokemon. I, mean, I guess it's better. I guess the toys saving the universe is better than death machines, I guess? It's, it's at least maybe it's not militarized. Maybe? You can't see, but I'm making a face. I, yeah, Josh is totally scrunched up. And then I also found out somebody did a, like, 25-chapter manga uh, parroting the creation of Gundam. It's like Gun. It's, so it's... that's the same author as uh, Gundam Son. That oh, it is. Yeah. Oh God. So that guy's just got a boner for just for making fun of Gundam. Then Jesus Christ. It is a whole cultural identity. Oh I, my God. I've seen a few times these cultural identity things. Like um, Barbara Streisand is one that I don't, I don't really understand. But there's a whole generation of Americans for whom Barbara Streisand is iconic yeah. and um, life changing, and then. Uh, my wife's Iranian, and there's an Iranian performer named um, Gugush, who's a whole 
Like, you can't really understand this cultural phenomenon unless you grew up in and around it. I've always heard about and, um, Um Kasum for the Egyptians or the similar thing, yeah. You told me about Um Kasum. Yeah. And then uh, Gundam is one thing for the Japanese people along with uh, the identity as the only, um, survive, or sur- only people to have been attacked with atomic bomb. Yeah. And know. if uh, George Lucas had hit him by... If he had been hit by a car in, like, in 1986, Star Wars would do the same thing with us where it was, like, a big thing. And still kind of a thing, but, like... Oh, Buddy Holly was like that for a generation in the 50s. Yeah, that's true. Uh, this, well, like this Elvis Lost Promise. Like too, yeah. Oh, like if you're talking about Lost Promise stuff, exactly, yeah, where it was kind of flash in the pan, but kind of petered out, but... <sighs> Man, Gundam. And it still seems to be going pretty strong in Japan, though, right? I mean, they were still putting up life-size Gundam mechs in Japan every once in a while. So that like... Yoshiki Tomino interview is interesting. He's such a grumpy grump, and um, he was... <laughs> Talking about they first came to him with the idea of making a big giant um, statue, and he was like, oh, I think that's dumb. Like, yeah. don't do it. And then uh, he said, one of my friends said, well, it can be kind of seen as like a Statue of Liberty type symbol of something. Yeah. And then you have to understand in Japanese, like, people don't speak directly. Like, they always have this coded language. Like, um, and so he was saying, like, oh, I've come to feel that way now that uh, this big giant statue in Odaiba, Japan, can start to serve as a Statue of Liberty iconic symbol for the Japanese people. Not about Gundam as a franchise, but about freedom and anti-totalitarianism. So I, I, I respect that he, he always wants to link things to larger ideals rather than, like, yeah. he's, he said he's kind of anti-commercial and... Yeah. Well, I'm sure he hopefully got a little bit of paycheck out of that, but you never know. But then again, he's making this stuff for Sunrise Bandai, so who the hell knows if he's making... Not that that's important yeah, as to how much money like, he's making off of this, but... I feel like Lucas <sighs> kind of owned the world and kind of said, whoa, that's like enough for me. Yeah, and I feel like out. Disney, as a company, wants to own the world and always just thinks there's never enough. We could squeeze more money oh, out gotta of this. Always got to be growing, yeah. And then... Uh, I respect that. Domino seems to have said, well, like, I've reached this iconic status in Japanese culture, and that's enough for me. Yeah. I, I saw the, 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 the manga that's about, like, the creation of Gundam is supposed to, like, be bookended by him showing up for the celebration of the 30th anniversary celebration when they first unveiled that, that life-size Gundam mecha, and it's supposed to be super grumpy, just like... <laughs> I, it's supposed to be a fictionalized account, so it's not supposed to be documentary, but it sounds like they took that into hit with him just kind of showing up, like, begrudgingly, like, Erf. He makes Miyazaki look like a um, light-hearted fellow. <laughs> Seriously, God. But, man, I guess, yeah, I guess we could talk, keep on talking about Gundam for so much longer, but I guess we should wrap this episode up. We've been talking for almost two and a half hours. Fuck. Which, that's only a tiny drop in the bucket of all the Gundam there is. Uh, maybe it would be tempted to, like, yeah, like, if, hmm, when, when, like, Maybe Daniel I might will get have to excited say, by this enough to... Either that, or the next time Daniel's sick, I'm like, okay, Jojo, Jojo, we gotta sit down and watch all of Zeta Gundam in a week, because next week, Daniel's gonna be gone, we need to do another... But yeah, this could be a reoccurring thing if you want it to be. Well, I hope it uh, draws Daniel in enough to dip in into a shorter Gundam thing like War in the Pocket. Yeah. Or, um, he's just had a kid, so he's got plenty of time to, like, like while nursing a baby, like, just, like, get some more anime. War in the pocket. We got. We have got Gundam. We can oh, share yeah, with them. That's right. It is a child-centered story about yeah. the tragedy of war. It's inspirational. That's what you want as a new parent. <laughs> hey, you can you can show kids a hell of a lot worse. Better that than the emoji movie. So yeah, thank you so much, Josh and Yamada. Uh, do you have anything? Do you want to plug or anything on the podcast? Uh, you have a website? Because I know you've got like joshinyamada.com and stuff like that, or Top Man. Uh, no, joshinyamada.com. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, 
I do freelance Mac work. And Yeah, if you're um, located in Portland need someone to fix your Mac or at least look at it. And I'll stuff. throw a, a link out to the Portland Mac Users Group, a volunteer nonprofit organization that I work with. Yeah. And uh, I'll try to make sure to see if Dan- when Daniel posts this episode, he can have a link to that or something like that. Oh, well, yeah. cool. Um, yeah, no, I think I just hope this gets people excited to watch a bit of Gundam. Uh, the good Gundams, not the bad ones. <laughs> Although, yeah. Yeah, it's, but it even you know, sounds like even the bad Gundams, well, if they're as, as opportunistic and warmongering as you see, uh, maybe, yeah, maybe there is a benefit to avoiding no, some Gundam. But... Um, for the little kids, it's good to watch the little boy ones about every kid can be a superhero. But... Yeah. But yeah, that's, again, just from 1979. I can't believe how staunchly anti-war and just thoughtful this goddamn thing was. It was fucking amazing. And especially with the pressure to... From the studio just to make this as toyetic as possible how like the, 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 none, enough of that thoughtfulness still kind of shown through and i'm glad that 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 still lit a fire of a franchise that still exists today and still there's some element of that thoughtfulness still at work at least in some iterations of this thing and i'm glad you could be here to share this with me that that means like i said uh, aside from gundam itself i'm glad that like you could be here to talk to me about this stuff and show this stuff to me and i know my work is done when you develop a portion of your website to the viewer's guide to the original Gundam series where you tell them what episodes to skip. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> I can start doing Gundam maps and bullshit like that, so. Oh, Jojo, I'm gonna open up this window and I hear the, hear the distant strains of someone singing Amuro, Amuro, Amuro oh. oh, you actually do know the lyrics. See, this is me. I'm Amuro, I'm walking the starlit, I'm like, I've got my hands in my pockets, I'm like, looking over my shoulder. <laughs> okay, this is us. We're getting getting on our rescue ship. We're flying away. The camera's panning over to the moon. Now it says it's 2017. The day after uh, this episode recorded, it was posted online, and it ended in an armistice that saved the world. Uh, Joshin, can you survive? <laughs> We did survive this podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. We'll be back next week. I'm sure Daniel... Well, actually, we, I need to talk to Daniel and see what's going on with the future of the podcast. Uh, since he had a baby, there might be a chance we might make uh, start making turn of the party like in every other week podcast or something like that. But we'll have to talk to him. Uh, who knows? We'll see what's going on. But we'll be back eventually. And thank you guys so much. And yeah, take care. And Joshin, thank you again for uh, stepping in and talking to this stuff about this. See ya. Take care, guys. Hey,